Hey y'all, this is Phil with Waste Vision, Waste Radio, and Filthy Talk, here with another episode of Filthy Talk. Um, This time I talked to a guy named Stephen Brown, who is originally from Denver, kind of a wealthy part of Denver with um, like private schools and uh, lacrosse, and a a lot of drugs, sex. Eventually, um, he, he went to school for writing, got into, like, uh, memoir writing, and wrote a memoir called Amongst the Eyes and Sage, which kind of features his meditations on wolves and um, toxic masculinity and being raised in this classy... Um, setting there in Denver, which is now, of course, booming with economics and weed and everything. Um, Him and I had a really nice conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I guess I should say uh, sorry for not really being on the podcast mode for the last couple months. I just put one out with Waste Books couple weeks ago and i'm looking to get on a weekly train here i'm kind of the main publisher for waste radio and our podcasts right now and we've of course got our open call to people uh friends of ours or you know anybody who's interested if you have a podcast idea put it together and send it in and we'll put it on waste radio in the meantime i've got like three or four filthy talks stacked up And I'm trying to be more consistent with this feed. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and pull the trigger and publish a bunch of Filthy Talks. Hopefully you don't hate Filthy Talk. You don't... um, I I mean, I hope you like the show. If you don't, you're going to be kind of... Oh, sorry. If you don't like Filthy Talk, I suppose um, just look for, you know, waste books or waste hangs or whatever other shit you're interested in here. Um, But I hope I'm putting out conversations that are worth your time. We don't have sponsors or anything, so you don't have to deal with that bullshit. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, yeah, so there's going to be a bunch of bunch of filthy talks coming down the pipeline. I know Cooper was working on a podcast, um, so hopefully I can get something from him. And get some other stuff on here, too. But I've got the shit. I've got, like, decent decent audio quality in my podcasts. And uh, I've kind of been, like, feeling weird about dominating the feed. But I want to make this consistent, and I've got the shit. So, yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and serve up the pancakes while they're hot. 
Uh, most of these that I have are not hot. I interviewed Steven like back in July or something. And yeah, for different reasons, just never got it up. And so now I'm putting it up, but I'm putting up all the stuff I have. Some of which is is going to be a little old. But the conversations are still relevant and fine. They're not r- particularly topical. So I don't think you'll be missing out on anything. Uh, but yeah, if you're interested in memoir, interested in toxic masculinity, check out this um, podcast with Steven. Definitely keep a lookout for him. I know he's looking for an agent. So if you have no... And, uh, a literary agent that might be interested in helping Steven get his work out. That would be cool. I don't know if he was talking about doing it independently if he needs to or what, but, uh, yeah, anyway, he's a super interesting guy. I hope to talk with him again, maybe go for a hike or whatever. Um, music today. I think I'm going to do, what did I do last week? I think I'm going to do fools. And their song called uh, Nosferatin, which is a nice, nice tune. This whole album about face is like really good. And I've had it going for a while. So I'm just going to probably use all that shit because I have permission from them. And I like it. Okay, so anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Check out waste-division.org if you want to see more of our work. We've got music and writing and photos and visual art and shit like that on there. Check out our Patreon. I do want to put an announcement about our Patreon that we have been very bad about sending out monthly packets. We're probably going to switch to quarterly packets. I've got to get that bundled up here. Uh, we've got a bunch of Dry Fest merch that I'm going to send out from the festival. Some koozies and some stickers and uh, some work from the artists that were there. So, yeah, check out Patreon. If you're a patron, now you know. Sorry that I haven't fucking delivered that shit. But shit's been whack. I think you'll understand. Um, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to put out a monologue, too. That's the other thing about being consistent is... Like, if I'm scrambling for something, I could just throw up a monologue. And I guess those aren't horrible. So people are kind of listening. If you like the show, tell your friends about it. If you like Waste Radio, tell your friends about it. If you know somebody that is trying to make a podcast, tell them to send it to us. Uh, that's admin at waste-division.org. Should get it to us, and we'll check it out. Otherwise, there's a submission page on the Waste division website um okay i hope you enjoy it yeah okay i'm just gonna say bye 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 that is just disgusting okay so wait let's see so i hold it like this okay. and keep it like so if you just move it to like about where your head is gonna be yeah you know and and you can Feel free to adjust. I say. Um, if I want to, like, lounge yeah, back. Yeah, That's good. Cool. We'll just kind of follow you with it. So okay. And I can move it, too. Cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, the main thing is just to, like, position yourself so you don't really have to think about it. It just, like, it totally. sits there. Yeah. Um, what up, kitty? Cool. What was her name? Uh, Cleo. Cleo. Cool. Well, I'm sitting here with Stephen Brown. Yeah, Brown? Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Just the color. Just the color. Um, I got this recommendation from Summer uh, Peterson in Red Lodge. 
Um, I guess she listened to the podcast with her partner, Drew, and thought that uh, Stephen would be a good guest. So I hit him up and asked if he'd be interested, and it sounded like he would be. Yeah, it was jazz. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for coming down. You're in Red Lodge? Yeah. 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 Um, and where... Let's see. So we should maybe just orient ourselves with like what you do, kind of, or like why I reached out to you. Like, you wrote a book, a memoir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is cool as fuck. Yeah, um, yeah. So I wrote that. I work at the brewery in Red Lodge, so if you like Red Lodge ales, you should drink that. Mm-hmm. A little shout out, <coughs> shameless. Um, shameless. Yeah. Can I get you to get up on that a little bit more? Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, I work at the brewery there, but I moved up to Montana from Denver. Um, in the memoir, if you uh, got any of it done, you you probably gathered I'm not a big fan of Denver. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't actually have the chance to read very much. Yeah, that's so fine. I, I'm sorry, but I'll definitely yeah. check it out because I'm interested. But Yeah, yeah. So um, I did not love growing up in Denver. Yeah. I'm sure we'll dive into that a little more yeah just with the the given topics that we already talked about but um yeah so i moved up to red lodge about three years ago looking for a space that was kind of what i remembered uh denver being in sense of a a more wild wide open space Mm -hmm. um denver was never that but you know the mountains of colorado are no longer the mountains that I remembered, so... Yeah, it's kind of nuts down there, man. <sighs> it's awful. I uh, I went down recently with my partner, girlfriend, um, to visit some family, because she's yeah. from around there, too. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of weird, because I always had this idea of Colorado as, like, a mountainy place. Yeah. And it is, obviously. Yeah. Um, but my experience in the mountains is around here in Montana, which is, like pretty different in the sense that there's just not as many people right i think uh yeah i mean if you want to wait to get yeah to the top of a 14 or you got to wait in line sometimes so is that right i've waited yeah (laughs) in line like at the trailhead Uh, like like, it's it gets so narrow at the top that people are like kind of taking turns getting to the top and taking pictures oh my god it's awful yeah yeah uh some of those peaks closer to denver are pretty bad so yeah, I was ready to get the hell out of there, and, um, you know, every time I go back there, I kind of learn more and more why I had to get out of there. Mm. You know, I moved up to Montana because um, of the wolves and the grizzlies. Like, I'm a huge wildlife guy, yeah. and that's a big part of my book right, is right. the wolves. I caught that. Yeah, so um, that was kind of the first draw, and I've always had that since I was, like, you know, before I could remember, really. Right. Um but then, just yeah. like an idea of wild wilderness or wildness kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's or? like the wildness and um you know, we're going to talk about masculinity. I've had a professor ask me. She was the one helping me start this book. Mm. Oh. And she was like, "So what's with all the apex predators?" <laughs> I was like, "I really couldn't tell oh. you. It's not a masculinity thing. It's oh, more of a wildness thing for me." <laughs> sure. Well, um, it's so interesting if you look at like history human history wherever we go megafauna or like other big animals disappear yeah like the mammoth is the big one or i mean around here even 
uh, with predators like the cougar or um, bears. I don't know when it was quite, but I know that back sometime, like around Roosevelt, when he was starting to open up national parks, Uh people were getting killed by like all these kind of crazy apex predators. And so we just killed the fuck out of them, like (laughs) 100,000 mountain lions or something. No, it's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and if you go into the... The um, Mammoth Hot Springs Visitor Center. You can see those pictures of like buffalo skulls piled right. like two stories That's high. The big one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That uh, one was in the Revenant or something recently. Oh yeah. 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 That yeah. picture. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, we've never been really good to those animals. Um, right. And it was really nice moving up to Montana and kind of getting a. I'm I'm not a black and white guy. I mm. like to float in the gray. Yeah. And um, getting an idea of, you know, that rancher side um, and, you know, that oh. it's their livelihood. In the sense that before you were skeptical of ranchers uh, or didn't think much of them or? Um, I mean, I don't think much of rancher, ranchers for the record. Yeah. You no, that's fair. Um, <laughs> that's fair. I, um. Yeah, I don't know. I have a little more respect for him. Um, yeah. I definitely came life. from the Edward Abbey. Oh, we're in. Okay, um, we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, that. yeah, dude. Edward Abbey's my shit. Cool. Um, so I definitely came from that whole idea. Um, so when I got up here, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was expecting to maybe be a little more combative against them, but mm. I'm not a combative person, mm. so... Um, yeah, I don't know. I've started to learn ranchers are really good conservationists. I kind of hate them for it because, I don't know, I w- yeah. I'd like to be on their land, but they do have giant sprawls of land that nobody's allowed to touch. Right. There's a weird thing with that. I actually worked in a law office after college, mm-hmm. um, kind of tried to follow like a white collar path for or like totally. a square path for a little bit. Um, and I worked for a real estate or one, the law office that I worked for, one of the things we did was, like, um, structure real estate real estate transactions yeah. for people. Um, and around here, like, if you're a high-dollar lawyer, you do it for ranchers because often they're the ones who have money because they have land. It's the money, money around here. Right, right. So we worked with a lot of them, and I ended up finding out that, like, most of the time conservation easements are what, like – ranchers hold up as their um, environmental contribution often they're built in um into deals as a way for them to skirt tax impacts on their on their purchases so instead of it being like a philanthropic or a nature loving action it's like a money thing yeah another way to save save money so that you don't get taxed from the federal government because you could say we set aside this plot of land for wildlife um i don't know if you're familiar with like philanthropic Philanthro capitalism. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's just a concept that like capitalists can make themselves look better by like giving totally a decent amount of money back to quote the public, but they do it usually through like private yes channels. Anyway, yeah. So ranchers are. I I think (laughs) like you're right because they do have large swaths of land that aren't touched. But on the other hand, they have like. Lots of cows on it that are fucking it up. Oh, so I'm it's not like, a fan of the cow. Right. I'll tell you that much. Kind of sad that we're at the place where it's like, thanks for shittily taking care of the land. Like, at least yeah. somebody's doing something about, like, you know, taking care of the no, land. No, I mean, like, I've, I was telling somebody the other day, uh, the only cow I've heard of 
getting killed over in the Cook City area because I'm always going over the oh, highway, yeah. the Beartooth Pass. Um, and I'm sure there's been depredations, but the only one that I have heard of was some dude just hit a cow on the highway. <laughs> so, you know, like they're they're putting their cows in harm's way already. Oh, so. sure. Um, I don't know. It's such an interesting topic, and I just really enjoy um, enjoy being around it and seeing the human side of it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and where we place in it. I know where, I know where my psyche, or not my psyche, but um, my beliefs, you know, I know where I think we are mm. place-wise, but I also see people trying to live their lives. But where do you, What do you mean by that? Where do you see Oh, that? just that, you know, I... I would say we're equals, if not lesser, than the wolves or the grizzlies, which oh. somebody would fucking probably chop oh, my right, head off right, if they right. heard that in certain parts okay, of Montana. So but you're into wolves and grizzlies, and so I for- always forget about that conversation around here with ranchers. And yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but no, I I will hear their side because they're people trying to make a living. That's the shit, man. It's like at the end of the day, most of us just like underlings workers trying to make our way yeah and well most of the people killing the wolves are usually ranch hands anyways so sure but well and i'm just trying to say like a rancher is still just another worker trying to yeah get their shit together so they can make money and feed their family or whatever right if a wolf is killing their like source of income you kind of can't blame them for being fucking pissed no on the other hand you could be like wolves were here for a really long time before cows were (laughs) well and i've heard people say you know if somebody can justify it to me a little bit better you know i'm like okay you're human but i've also heard just old guys be like smoke a pack a day Mm -hmm. type thing like fuck those mongrels and Mm -hmm. it's like all right man don't need that hate at the bar right yeah Yeah. we're trying to have a good time yeah (laughs) as a bartender i hear too much bullshit like oh sure yeah yeah yeah. no doubt but yeah so um, that's kind of how I got up to Montana was that passion for the wildlife in Yellowstone. And, um, cool. yeah, the more and more I go back to Denver, it's become less about the wildlife that keeps me up here and more about just, you know, the lifestyle and mm. kind of a, a truthful lifestyle, I'd say. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Truthful how? Um, well, I think, um, I don't know. I just, if you... Most of the people I grew up with, I kind of, they're all still doing the same thing. Kind of grown up in that capitalist. um, Mm. Status, kind of. Yeah, it's all about status, man. I got friends who are apparently the badass country club is uh, Mm. everybody's getting old, so they're giving discounts to my friends to join. So, yeah, they're already getting them in the loop type thing. That's fucking weird, yeah. It's fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. what I kind say, of friends do you have? Like office Well, and when I say friends, friends or, yeah. Or like high school people that you or Yeah, it's more high school people yeah. that I knew and cousins and stuff like that. Right. But um Yeah, I grew up in a really affluent area of uh Denver. Yeah. Um and actually most of my friends ended up being the kids. I went to an all boys Catholic school. Oh, okay. And most of those friends from that school, um, they ended up being the scholarship kids. <laughs> So, okay. um, yeah, they were a little more humble, but oh, I see. most of the kids I grew up around and playing lacrosse, it's a really affluent sport. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Kind of niche, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, 
It doesn't breed the best of people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love a lot of the kids I played with. Um, but as a whole, the sport can kind of be a douchey sport. Mm. So True. Um, and that's where all that toxic, toxic masculinity comes from. Mm. And, um, you know, I started realizing, you know, the Donald Trumps I grew up around and, mm. like, why they are so fucked up. Yeah, yeah. These kids who are, you know, driving 150 down mm. I-25. Mm. Getting hammered and calling girls oh. bitches. and Just outside the lines all over the place. Dude, it's yeah. the culture of grab the... Grab them by the pussy. Yeah. It really was. Grab so. life by the pussy. <laughs> Grab everything by the <laughs> pussy. Yeah. yeah, that's not no right. respect. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where that book came from, though. Is uh, growing up in that. We should say the title amongst sage. And amongst the eyes and sage. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where the book came from. Um, was feeling really uncomfortable mm. growing up in all that. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm in Montana, I'm like... Oh, some space I'm to see I'm in my Mecca. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been writing that book for seven years. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start it? Pretty much right after the road trip it takes, base on, or it takes place with. Yeah. Um, but I really did a lot of the legwork... Um, in 2014 and 15, okay, I went to I moved down to Costa Rica after college. Oh, cool. And when did you graduate college, John? 14. Okay, yeah, December of 2014. Gotcha. Um, okay, so you took the road trip in college some sometime. I took then... it after dropping out of college oh, okay. for a second. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. I went back to college. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's probably all in your book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, man. Um, it's all good. But yeah, so that's kind of where that all began and now i'm here mm. yeah the more and more space i've gotten the more and the current social climate mm-hmm. i've just kind of learned like oh shit oh, fuck. that's why i was so fucked up yeah. feeling yeah um, yeah yeah so um let's see so you started writing did you and you went to school what'd you go to school for english creative writing you did okay yeah Me too. oh did you yeah badass at missoula uh-huh badass they have an awesome program yeah yeah i uh I've thought about getting my MFA up there. But oh, cool. Yeah. That'd be sweet. We'll see. Yeah. Is David Gates still up there? Do you know? I don't know. Yeah. I I only know... Um, I assume he is. Judy Bloom or Blunt? Yeah, Judy Blunt. Blunt. Blunt, I, yeah. I had her. Judy yeah. Bloom is... Yeah, that's like person. a... That's a uh, child childhood writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she wrote... Uh, Super Fudge or something. Okay. Do you remember that book? Uh, no. I know the name. That's yeah. All. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was like a second grade book, so I don't blame <laughs> you. Um, I could be forgiven for forgetting. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I'm just kind of a savant in that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't be remembering those books. but Word. So, wait. Uh, college, you went for creative writing. Yeah, English. at Colorado State. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, you started... Working on this then in college once you came back? Yeah. Um, God, it was super frustrating, actually, because all I wanted to do was work on that book. Oh. And I start taking these creative writing classes. Sure. They want you to write these short stories right, and right. stuff. Um, you couldn't figure out a way to let them? I did eventually. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, it took getting to know the right professors right. who understood what you were trying to do. Right, right. Um, and once I, f- I found one professor and I was like, yo, will you just be my... Um, my counselor and yeah. tell me who's a badass yeah and he's like yeah there's kind of two different groups here and, <laughs> oh um, really yeah he kind of mentioned that you know there's yeah. two different aesthetics going on so right. 
he kind of led me and he was he was awesome i mean i was really into the beats okay Kerouac was kind of where I started. Cool. It's the road trip. The yeah. needing to have a road trip to sure. find myself type thing. Of course. Um, but, um, yeah, I took a beat class with um, this dude, Math- Matthew Cooperman, and he uh, he's a badass poet, and he had studied with Ginsburg. And, um, oh, cool. Yeah, and um, he really led me along, so it was nice. Um, and then there was a couple other teachers who helped. Cool. Yeah, but... That's where the I began the book, and um, then I did all the legwork in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. So began the book. Did it start as like a personal essay thing, or how did it? Did, were you like I'm gonna write a fucking memoir? Yeah. Um, so I went on the trip. Let me close this real fast. Yeah, no worries. So I go on said trip and. Um, I don't know, when you're young, like, I'm 19 at the time, and just so naive, um, mm-hmm. like, and I went on this trip, and I learned so much in it, where, like, I don't know if you remember being that age, but the sensation that I have had was, like, I was absorbing everything. Mm-hmm. So I was like, man, this is something real just happened. Like, I need to write about this. Cool. So I wanted to just write about that book, or about that trip. Right. And that's basically what I did to start... Um, Mm. you know, when I was in Costa Rica, I basically wrote the length of the trip with a few flashbacks here and there. Sure. Um, and then I edited it, you know, five or six times until what would have been 2017. Yeah. 17, maybe. Mm. Um, I ended up getting a, um, a grant from the Montana Arts Council, which they're awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, they're just in my brewery one night, hmm. and um, they're the last ones there. And I asked them, you know, what's going on, mm-hmm. and um, what are you guys up to? And they told me they were with the Montana Montana Arts Council. And I asked them if they, if writing is considered art to them. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. And they told me to apply hmm. for this grant. I ended up getting it. Cool. And then I signed up to the grant basically helped fund part of this uh program i went to called fish trap yeah um and it's a western writing conference cool and there was a year-long manuscript program and i got hooked up with this woman karen fisher damn yeah that's awesome and karen's a fucking badass yeah she wrote a book called a sudden country huh which is they said was like the lady cormac mccarthy like cormac mccarthy as a lady she she's a great writer yeah um but she's really done a lot as a teacher too yeah um so i met her went out to this conference uh i was just about to have a breakup with my girlfriend she was about to move back to denver and you knew this yeah yeah yeah. um it was like right before i left for the conference she was like got a job in colorado and i was like not going yeah Um, damn didn't want to try a long distance thing or no it was uh, yeah no montana's the home so um yeah, so basically I'm sitting there having my one-on-one with Karen um, about my book. She's super pumped about the manuscript. Um, and she looks at me and she's... I mentioned that Brooke, my ex-girlfriend, is leaving town. And yeah. I'll probably be going through some changes, but I'm super pumped and all that. And she was like, well, why don't you just move out to my farm? I was like, ah, I can't do that. I go home and I talk to some friends. They're like... 
wait, you're supposed to work with this woman remotely, but she said you could live on our farm yeah. for free and right? Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So I moved out there for like three months. And cool. she really helped peel away the reasons why that trip meant so much. Right, right, right. Um, and put in all that, helped me put in all that flashback. And that's where a lot of the... It blew up into it. The account. toxic masculinity and all that stuff came up and she just kept pushing me that right. way. Um. That's yeah. dope, man. It was, it was, it, writing a book is a fucking, it's an interesting process. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to start another one. I'm like, wait, where do I begin again? Yeah, yeah. So. Cool. So wait, let's go back. I'm really interested in people's, um, like how the fuck they fund things, basically. Cause, yes. Because that's kind of like the problem of our age in a lot well, of ways. And if you want to be an artist. If you're an artist, yeah. yeah. Um. So you had the three months uh, free rent to write and and get sort of trained work under this lady, right? Yeah, and I I got a part time job out there. Okay, so, yeah. And then, but where did the year long thing come in? Um. So that's um. So I just went out there for three months because I finished my book in three months, basically. Uh huh. Um, oh. But the program ended. Uh, like seven seven months later in June. I see. Okay, yeah, so okay. I was still working with her by phone. Gotcha. But, um, okay, okay. I did most of the work. and So you weren't like at that kind of spot where you're like isolated working for a year. You, yeah, you like are part no. of a program. No, before. like there was 12 of us in this program and um, I was the only one lucky enough to actually be working with her every okay. single day. Cool. The other people are calling or emailing. Right, right, right. Um, but she, she picked you out. Why? Do you know? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, she really believed in the project, but, um, also she is, she's a total mother and it was me and like, I think there was like two other people, but they're in like their thirties and forties. And Uh then there was me like this 25, six year old kid. Uh Um, so she totally took me under her wing and she calls me her like her writing son because her other sons don't write. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's so, sweet. Yeah, no, I think that was a lot of what it is. And she's, Those mentorships are huge. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's the worst part about the artist thing is, mm. man, I've reached out to a lot of writers and oh. most of them just are like... Sorry, man. No time or... Yeah, they don't even say sorry. They mm. just kind of are like, yeah, good for you, bud. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, fuck. <laughs> Um, Good luck. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, when she was just like, "Yeah, let's do this," and I still talk to her once a week. I call her and cool. Yeah, um, I called her yesterday. Actually, I was like, "I'm looking for an agent right now." Mm-hmm. That process is just bullshit. Yeah, dude, that seems like not fun. Yeah, I mean, it's just blind. Or you're like internet dating. Mm. Oh yikes! <laughs> yeah. With a book. Yeah, with a book <laughs> and constantly getting turned down. So. Yeah. Yeah, I called her to vent about that, but yeah. So can she help with that at all, or how does that? So she's work? just ha- she's had an interesting go since that bestseller. Um, she's got an awesome, awesome story coming up about it all. But uh-huh. um, she lost her husband in a oh. in a ski accident. Damn. After they had bought twenty six uh, Nez Perce horses. Shit. And they're building this house on this farm. Um. And they have three kids. Worst timing. Yeah. And so she tried to write another book and didn't really work out for whatever reason. Uh, She says it just wasn't ready and it was terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But yeah, so she uh, she went through a lot, and she had to like get rid of these horses. She whittled them down mm. to like six. Um, she had to finish building this house because her kids were living. Um, oh. One was living in the cabin I ended up living in. Oh, and the other was were living in the loft above the garage. Damn. Yeah, with her I think so. Oh fuck. Yeah, and you should have seen where they started. There was another cabin that was not even close to as big as this place. Yeah. So. Oh um, shit. Yeah, she's a frontier lady. Right, right. Um, she was, she, every single day, she was chainsawing shit, and then she'd go in and write, yeah. and then chainsaw some more shit, move some wood. Yeah. Yeah, dude. She uh, she was a fucking badass. Great um, A badass, huh? Yeah, and all of her kids, she's like, oh, yeah, they've all been able to chainsaw since they could walk. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I felt like qu- quite the nerd out there. Yeah. Like, uh, well, I'm just going to sit here and write. <laughs> I can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you can throw firewood at me and I'll stack it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I was not nearly as efficient as she was used to with right. uh, the whole chainsawing thing. Sure, right. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so important to have mentors. Um, it seems to me that, like, mentors are the kind of system that help bring like young people up and or young artists right. up and turn yeah. them into adult artists or whatever. Um, and I don't even think it has to be artists. I mean, sure. apprenticeships. No doubt. Yeah. It's crafts, whatever yeah. the craft is kind of. Totally. I um, mean, the beer world, same thing. Right, right, right. But it's kind of cool because it's more flexible and like mysterious than like going to get a regular job where you start at the ranks and then yeah. you make a connection and you rise the ranks there. There's like a way uh, more ephemeral kind of system well, with, yeah, in the art world, it seems. Yeah, there's no there's no plan or step. Right. There's no ladder that you're just right. like looking at. No, you just happen to have to, or you have to happen to uh, just like run into somebody and then they like happen to find out that you have common interests and that they yeah. like... Might be interested. The only reason I'm doing music professionally is because I met my friend Parker Brown here in town mm-hmm. when I was like 15, and like for we were at a jazz like seminar thing that was happening Badass. at the high school, and he just showed up. He was like young in his professional like music professional professional music career, um, and I was like the only guitar player that showed up. I think that's why we bonded. Yeah. And so like he was like. Gave me his number afterwards, said, hey, call me if you want lessons. And um, so I did, and we eventually ended up bonding because we would just talk in lessons sometimes. And, like, I went through my first breakup as he was going yeah. through an intense breakup. And he was, like, 10 years older than me, so it was much different, obviously. But totally, though. we were still able to kind of, like, identify with each other. And I kind of became, like, a little brother to him, or, and he became, like, a big brother so to me. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like an artistic family or something where, like, if you find your family, members and they kind of show you what they did to try to hack it and then see if that'll help you and well and that's what i always wanted i mean talking about being a fan of the beats i Mm. thought i was gonna find my ginsburg neil cassidy william s burroughs type thing right um hence me or me being jack kerouac because i'm ridiculous like that right that I could ever be Jack Kerouac. But, um, <laughs> I don't know if you'd want to be anyway. But. No, I've learned that over the years. Yeah. yeah, I'm not as big of a fan of him anymore. Yeah. Um, well, he's still good. Oh, writer, I love him. Yeah. Killed himself in his basement with whiskey. Uh, yeah, basement. he basically pickled himself because yeah. he, he was quoted to a friend saying, like, I'm Catholic, so I can't kill myself, so I'm just going to drink myself mm. to death. Um, I think he, his was like an esophagus rupture, literally. Yeah, like, I can't Like, just remember. too much... N- 
liquor yeah. passing over the t- his I throat mean, he tissue. He was pretty gross looking yeah. at the end. Was he? I haven't yeah. seen him. Yeah. He just, yeah, he wasn't Jack. But he's drinking like a gallon of whiskey a day or yeah. something insane. Damn. Yeah. Um, that is an agenda, right? He was trying to do it. Yeah. He was over it. Um, Damn. Yeah. Super morbid. But um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's what I was looking for, you know, in, in college and. Uh, I was a jock in college. I played oh. lacrosse in college. Okay. Yeah. No shit. I was a jock growing up. Like I, so I didn't really fit into this art thing. Right. You know. Um, and I, I didn't really fit in the jock thing eventually either. Cause, right. Um, I kind of started to just become who I needed to be mm. radically. Mm. I mean, that's what happened after this road trip. Is I was like so afraid to be myself that I was like, when I got back, I was like. I just need to radically be myself. Mm. Um, so yeah, I didn't didn't really fit in at my lacrosse parties with the sorority girls, um, and then I wasn't <laughs> fitting in in my my uh, my creative writing classes. Oh, um, yeah, uh, nobody really accepted me there. It was kind of mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple people eventually did, but yeah, I, I definitely felt out of sorts and mm-hmm. I would try to get writing groups together and oh. that was tough. So, Oh, that kind of sucks if you're like trying really, to be active and shit. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. I had a girlfriend who was pushing me to do that. Yeah. And I, at the time I was really struggling with some social anxiety. Sure. Um, so if you weren't oh, my that's friend, shitty response. Yeah. Trying to reach out. Yeah. Oh, I had a dude tell me one of my short stories. He was like, and this guy was like 32 years old talking to a 21 year old. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he had a little more chops than I did. Yeah. Um, but he was in the same program. Um, <laughs> he read a short story of mine that was based on a true event. He goes, either this, uh, he's like, at worst, this guy is just a dumb, drunk alcoholic. Or no, at best, he's a drunk, dumb alcoholic. At worst, he's just a whiny bitch. <laughs> I was like, well, sweet. It's a true story. Yeah. He's like, well, it's not good. I was like, Thanks. fuck. <laughs> um, you know, and it wasn't a good story, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a way to say it better. Like, come right. on, dude. Right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I really struggled with that. Um, and when you, as an artist, and you're having to pave your own path, mm-hmm. And not having even other artists support you. That yes. was really fucked up. Right, right. Um, I guess I just kind of drank my way through that. Did you? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I I don't know how I persevered through that, mm. to be honest. Um, <laughs> through, call, like, that program? Meaning, yeah, that yeah. program. And then, yeah. I don't know. It's that, it's that funny thing. You look back, like, how the fuck did I do that type mm-hmm. shit? Um yeah, you could just kind of forget how you moved through that fire. Because mm. um, it really sucked. Mm-hmm. But I did, at my last semester, I there was a really good poet. Um, her name's Molly Davidson. Mm. Uh, she and I started, you know, talking, writing a bunch and hanging out. And um, she, like, won every poetry award at CSU. Oh. She was, yeah, she cool. was a phenomenal poet. So she kind of believed in me a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was nice. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, those professors were, they were helpful, but I always knew they were also being paid to be helpful. <laughs> right. So Karen was a whole different thing. Sure. Um, yeah. And you just start to find your people a little more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I always think about, um, like differences between 
people who are getting paid to be there for you. And, yeah. Um, sort of a more... So that's my institutionalized picture is people who are being paid to be there for you. Yeah. And that has advantages because you can access them usually more easily because they have office hours. and Yeah. Um, but then there's like a street side of getting educated too or what you might call like quote street um, just because it's not in an institution. Yeah. Um, oh, damn it. I forgot my point because you were talking about. Is it just more organic? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, it's just more organic. Um it's kind of funny because on the one hand, like you want, like that access is really cool and yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you get like a much different thing. Like if somebody is on the clock and they're not like deciding to spend their time with you, then you kind of don't authentic. get as much shit. And like yeah, I my framework for thinking about this is through music. Usually, I came up. Um, just doing like I mean I had plenty of training in school and shit mm -hmm. or like doing an after school program in choir um and then in high school kept doing school shit music but I really consider like where I'm at now my high school experience was important when we were throwing like rock shows in our garage fuck yeah and yeah. that applies now um now I don't know why I'm talking about that but what I'm trying to say is, like, when I started um, training for jazz, which is, like, more intense and requires, like, more technical facility, you totally. kind of, like, need a mentor if you're going to do jazz unless you just decide to, like, lock yourself in a room with a bunch of records and <laughs> learn all of them somehow yeah. over up the course of a few months or whatever. Um, I started hanging out with my friend Eric, who's an excellent, like, piano player in town, mm -hmm. and he noticed that I was getting more interested in music and you can always use more bass players. So he yeah. was like, hey, man, if you're getting serious about this, like, we could start learning some jazz if you want. And I was like, for a long time, I was scared of jazz because it's kind of like the hardest music, it seems Dope. like. yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'd, like, fucked with it a little bit in high school, but it was too scared to, like, pursue it really on my yeah. own. Um, but eventually when he said that, I was like, sure. And so we started doing lessons, um, where I just like when I was living with my wife I don't we, uh -huh. I guess we'll have to get into my story if you want but yeah I kind um, of heard at least like a tiny synopsis oh. from Drew yeah 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 so anyway I was living at that house and we had this like basement with it was an unfinished basement so I'd yeah. practice in the basement late at night and got my shit together um but part of our lessons often would be like us just going to the bar to hang out Fuck yeah. Which was kind of related to, like, an alcohol problem <laughs> I was having at the time. Yeah. But also, like, that's where you kind of get good shit. Like, the lessons that happen don't just happen in, like, a classroom Fuck or, yeah. like, a lesson room where you go and, like, there's a door and it's like, okay, entering the lesson space now. No. It's I'm... like people pass their valuable shit often, like, after hours. And you kind of get that in the street mode way more than like the institutional mode, unless people like professors start at asking you out for drinks, you know, like totally to hang out and that can happen. Yeah. So yeah. And it can, um, but, but anyway, no, I, I mean, thing. no. And I can totally see where you're coming from. Yeah. Cause that's what I got when I was at Karen's was, um, you know, that organic, authentic conversation where there's no jargon to it. Mm. I'm not looking at a chalkboard learning poetry terms. Right. Um, we're sitting and eating breakfast together. We're drinking a beer after we've written all day and right. watching some movie and breaking it down. Right, right, right. Um, 
Well, the difference is like living with the other person, yeah. in a sense, and not just showing up to a room together for yeah. a limited time. Every well, and it was just or... so personal too. Yeah, like I said, no jargon. It's like right. It's a conversation. Right, right, right. Um, and it, it's yeah, more accessible for. For you, I mean, uh, mm. your teacher is literally only teaching you. They're right there with you. Yeah. Right. There's kind of a top-down approach you have yeah. to have in the classroom. Where yeah. There's like more students, so you have to like toss a net out there to yeah. see like what, like hopefully some parts of what you say will sink in with the with different people. Absolutely everyone. Right. Yeah. Or right, like a shotgun approach or something. Yeah, shotgun approach is but, a great metaphor. Yeah. But with like a one-on-one shit, if they like know you better because you've spent time, like in my case, we just spent enough time playing music together. Yeah. Where like if we were in a classroom, he might show up, talk some shit at me, maybe hear me play something, mm-hmm. and that's it. But like if you get to play with somebody, that's like having a conversation with them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's totally it. Um, and yeah, just the, just those little moments too of whether you're at a bar, um, eating breakfast with right. them, um, or living with them. Just mm-hmm. every moment is very authentic and n- no pressure really. Oh, you know, if that's you think a cool about aspect, it, right? yeah, they don't have to be there. You don't have to be there. Yeah, and well, you're just talking. Right. I mean, it's just a. I mean, that's what we wanted to talk about was writing or right. or uh, whatnot. So. I guess what I'm trying to touch on is, like, a concept that I really like uh, of autonomy. Yes. Like, I think that our autonomy is, like, a really holy force that we have. Kind I of, would agree. That, like, propels us. And if you enter into a situation that you don't really want to be, but you have to be, like a job, like if you're a professor <laughs> yeah. showing up to a college, yeah, um, it seems like your autonomy goes away. Like, even if you love that job, there are still definitely days that you don't want to be there. And like, yes. in those cases, you don't have the autonomy. And in my mind, that zaps you of an important energy that, like, you kind of need to have in order to do something like pass, like, delicate knowledge between totally. individuals. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so I don't know. That's no, I it. totally agree with that. Um, <laughs> and it gives the student autonomy as well, though. Right. Right, right. Well, because if the student doesn't want to be at class, like you saw yeah. this in college, um, kind of a cool writing story that I have from college. Have you heard of, I think it's in my car. There's a book called Made that came out recently. Yeah, why a, do I know that one? M-A-I-D. It's just yeah. about like a single mom who worked her ass off. Um, she was in some one or two abusive relationships. Yeah. Um, got out of them. And I ended up in class with her at Missoula. Badass. Um, and she has like a New York Times bestseller now. It's yeah. Um, I was going to say, I but see that was so cool. many books. I don't know. Sorry? Oh, I just see so many books. Right, looking right, for right. these agents. Somewhere. Well, and the only reason I know about it is because I went to school with her and I've been kind of Yeah, following no, her. but I definitely am familiar with that title yeah. at least. So anyway, it was cool because she was definitely like a student that came back to school um, with a goal. She's yeah. like, I worked my ass off to be here. I've wanted to be a writer for a long time. Um, and so she would go and like be much more engaged in the classes, like grabbing the professor afterward to work with them. She actually ended up working with Judy Blunt um, to yeah. put together that m- memoir of hers. Yeah. Um, but part of why that happened is just because she was eager enough to be like, hey, first of all, put in the work on her own to bring like a yep. good piece to class that the professor would be interested in and like agree to meet with them and like meet with her and care about it. Nice sock, Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But then there were students who were just like there because their parents wanted them to be in college, yeah. right? And th- there's a huge difference in the case of Stephanie. Her name's Stephanie Meyer. Okay. Um, she like had a high sense of autonomy. Like she was there, had pretty much fully chosen to be there and had made it a goal. Yeah. Whereas some people just kind of accidentally ended up being there and like probably didn't want to. And you could tell, like they were the ones that weren't engaged and no, like didn't care, but that's where it got her now. Like she found the right mentors and like had the right work ethic and was good enough at it to like make it happen. And that was super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I definitely went through both sides of that mm. process. Um, I actually failed my first grade writing class. Oh, right. Um, Dropped out of college, yeah. Well, <laughs> not that one. Um, <laughs> but eventually. <laughs> I actually did really well at that college. I was oh, not okay. A, not a good college, um, but I was never a great student. I um, see. So that was the best I ever did in school uh-huh. was that, that first college. It was out in Virginia. Yeah. Um, okay. I just went out there to play lacrosse. Gotcha. Um, I see. Wasn't the best school and. Um, obviously I was having a fit with who I was, so I dropped out to figure that all out. Um, but my first creative writing class was at, uh, CSU and I failed that one. Oh. I, I got a C and you had to get a B to move on. Oh. Um, and I got a C cause I was playing lacrosse and I was just mm. like, meh. And I didn't really know what I was doing yet writing wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know I wanted to write that book, but I was like, 19 didn't really know how to start it mm-hmm. i was playing lacrosse um is lacrosse i mean like all college sports pretty intense with your like free time demands or uh where i played it was not as yeah. much it was a club sport we treated it oh. like varsity so um you know i'd practice almost every day yeah year round yeah um oh, okay wow but um no, we were able to have a lot of fun too. I was having a lot of fun at that <laughs> point in time. Um, yeah, I mean, I would wouldn't trade those days for the world, but I also wouldn't go back to them. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, but eventually, you know, I played two seasons at CSU, and I pretty much did everything I felt like I needed to do lacrosse wise. Um, mm. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna retire from this and. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've retired from lacrosse. I knew my last <laughs> game going into it was going to be the last game. Yeah. And um, I uh, I told Coach afterwards, I was like, hey, I'm going to quit this to write this book that I keep talking wow. about. Wow. So that's what I did. And from then on, I started to make that traction and yeah. meet those professors. Um, oh. And gain their trust because they saw how hard I was working. Right, right, right. But before that, yeah, I was definitely a lost a little, little soul out. yeah yeah a little strung out just playing lacrosse and drinking and um yeah i didn't know what i was doing i mean my friends were like yeah he 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 steven's a writer and mm. there'd be times when we'd all be drunk and somebody would find a poem of mine and read it and mm. um it would be terrible mm-hmm. um <laughs> and or you know short stories <laughs> yeah they'd find and read it and kind of make fun of me mm-hmm. and i was like yeah whatever mm. um but I started taking myself really seriously after lacrosse. Um, That's kind of cool. I made a conscious decision of that. Right, right. How long had you been doing lacrosse? I started my little or my older brother probably threw a ball at me for the first time when I was like seven years old. Oh, okay. Yeah, he just wong the ball at me until I could catch it. It was like either let it hit your face or catch it. So, how do you think about lacrosse as a part of yourself now? Like that was obviously a big part of. Yeah, you it for was a long who time. I was. Um, 
Shit, I don't know, man. There's not really any lacrosse in Montana. Right. I still miss it. I have all my sticks up here. Oh, you do? So you yeah, I still like got my were... college stick up here, and um, uh-huh. I'll play with my dog. Sure. Right. So I'll t- I can throw it really far for yeah. him, or he likes when I run around with it. He yeah. likes to tackle me. So. Sure. Um, yeah. But aside from that, I haven't played in a lacrosse game probably five, six years. Um, my little brother still plays. My older brother still coaches. Okay. So, um, you know, but, I hear so about that was them. kind of like a predetermined path for you in some senses or. Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, athletics were definitely predetermined. Mm. Um, I didn't have to be an athlete. My mom would have been fine with it sure. if I wasn't. But um, we were all athletes. Mm-hmm. There's three boys. So we we're all my older brother was a really good athlete. And I was not a good athlete to start until I started playing football. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I used to run away from the soccer ball. <laughs> um, my older brother, he's six years older, and he'd thrown out his arm playing baseball. So I decided I needed to throw out my arm playing baseball because I didn't want to play baseball. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just was not a good athlete. You're like, with, this is the way out of Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to play this game anymore. But then football came along, and the coach was like, just run as hard as you can into that other kid. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. oh, okay. I was I was pretty good at football too. Yeah, yeah, I loved the contact. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, football and lacrosse kind of came easily to me and I actually grew into my body and became a really good athlete and um Sure. Yeah, my high school career was definitely predetermined by myself really. Um, okay. From a young age just watching my older brother sure. play in all these big games. Um Right, right. So yeah, I was determined to go win state from okay. an early early age. Yeah. Um which didn't happen, which you could learn about in the book. Sure, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, now I don't... I, I guess what I'm curious about is, like... Yeah. Um, there's always this practical sense that you can't do everything, right? Um, so you made the decision to quit lacrosse, and then after that you found all these connections being made in your writing world. Yeah. Which hadn't been able to be made because you weren't attending to them mm-hmm. enough presumably um so like i'm wondering if it was a difficult for decision for you to uh like bail on the cross like if that because that had been a big part of your identity for a long time it seems yeah i wonder if you were afraid of like what your parents thought or like or at that point maybe just like fuck all this <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i wasn't too worried about what other people thought yeah at that point um, cause you're kind of switching teams, like going from like the yeah, jock team to yeah. like the art team, man. I had such a good, good college experience with those guys. Sure. Um, they're so understanding of That's me. That's cool. Yeah. They, I mean, I was, they kind of saw it or something. Probably. Oh yeah. I mean, I was just like such a goofball on that team. That mm-hmm. was part of what I, like, I wasn't a star on the team. I would, I, uh, I was kind of a role player really. Sure. Um, and that's so, a good trait and good skill. Fuck yeah, it was yeah. super fun. And that's when I started to have fun again. It was when I was like, oh, I don't have to be a star. I'll just mm. be this role player. Mm. And so I'd have a couple plays during the game in which, you know, um, just brought a shitload of energy because I'd make some big play and it'd be like, oh, yeah, Brownie. Yeah. That was my nickname, uh-huh. was Brownie. Um, and I also was just a fucking goofball. Mm on the sideline mm-hmm. um and i'm listening to bluegrass before the games <laughs> like it was a total 180 from where i was in high school where i'm like listening to gangster rap i'm Getting the leader pumped. yeah i'm the leader of the team oh, and funny. i'm like 
taken away too seriously, right. and it really fucked with my head. Mm. So CSU was, um, they kind of knew that I was this goofball and kind of on my own path, kind of rogue. Yeah. Um, and they loved me for that. And then it was just a victory lap for me. Um, I've been trying not to say it, but we won two national championships. Oh. And I only lost two games. Cool. So that was another part of it being like, okay, I've done all I can do. Sure. Um, right, right. I'm pretty happy walking out yeah. after uh, winning a second national championship. So, national, yeah, huh? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It's at the club level. But, yeah, um, it was really fun. Uh, yeah, it's a funny – the club level at lacrosse is – So does club – you'll have to cue me in. Does yeah. club mean higher or lower in the rankings? It would be lower. Okay. Um, as club is to... really so you got club and then you have your division one uh-huh. your divisions okay. of lacrosse so i see okay like i went to go play d3 initially uh-huh. though my club team dismantled like five d1 not five but three or four d1 or d3 teams okay um like basically what it was is uh it was a bunch of kids who could have played the higher levels but they wanted to party and party <laughs> and go to their hometown school yeah um so, yeah, we had tons of talent. Um, cool. But, yeah, and so we played against a lot of good talent, too. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was just a victory lap for me, and um, it was really hard. In the hard. sense that you had decided to quit, but then yeah. it ended up turning out good. Like Yeah, I mean, that, I that won way. that first year, and I came back the second year. and um, Yeah, the, some stuff happened, and I also just knew – I needed to get serious about what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and lacrosse wasn't going to be that, um, which was fine. I, I had finally accepted that. Sure. Um, and so I did that victory lap, and then it was go time from there. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It it was tough the first couple of years after just from, like, a competitive and doing some standpoint. No. You know, you always have to go to practice and mm. – um, the camaraderie was tough too, losing that a mm. little bit, but um Right. I don't know, it wasn't that bad. And mm. now I like I could give a shit about lacrosse. True. My mom's <laughs> always telling me st- scores and like I love hearing my little brother's doing really well. Sure. Um at the college level. So I love hearing about him and hearing about my older brother as he's coaching, but I really could give a shit. She'll tell me like what my high school team's doing and yeah, I'm like yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Um <laughs> Yeah, but that's, yeah, I don't know. I'd much rather go play in the mountains than uh, do that. But I'd also love to coach one day if, mm-hmm. I, if, if I didn't have to deal with too much. Right, right. You know, but that's the thing about being a coach is you got to be invested, so. Deal with parents and. Yeah, and well, just teach you got people. a responsibility for the yeah, kids. Yeah. Um, right. You know, looking back on how vulnerable I was mm. at that age, um you know, looking up to these male figures, um, like I trusted them more than I trusted my dad. Sure. Uh, some of my coaches, cause they're right. young and cool. Well, and, and you maybe see them more. I saw them a lot more and talked yeah. to them a lot more. So, um, that's kind of fucked. <laughs> right. I know. Um, <laughs> some... but it's true. I mean, as I was writing my book, I'm starting to realize that cause mm. lacrosse, like you said, it's, it's a big part. Um, and yeah, I just started to realize like how much I invested into some of these male figures, oh. um, especially coaches. Right. Um, 
and yeah, just looking up to them and what what they're doing and right. how they're teaching me and, and then thinking about that responsibility for it, yourself. Yeah, if yeah. I was to be a coach, I would definitely have that. Um, yeah, I'd want to be there for those kids. Yeah, right. Especially with how fucked up I was. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Keep an eye out for people like myself. Cool. Yeah. Well, here, let's take a break. I kind of have to take a piss. Yeah, do your um, thing. And we're back. Just chill for a sec. Hi, Steven. Yeah. Yo, cool. <laughs> what's going on? We were just talk, starting to talk about um, male figures, and it uh, it seems pretty obvious that, like, a lot of your thought about, like, masculinity would have come from your experience in, like, the sports world. Yeah. Maybe? Uh, sports and just uh, upper middle class male. Yeah. Um, I see. But, yeah, sports and, yeah, just kind of entitled male. Mm-hmm. Um, masculinity is where I came from. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's talk about that. Like, do you have a thesis of your book, or? And I know that it's a little unfair. There's always this thing about asking artists about their art, because they're kind of like, "Well, I did the art so that you could look at that." <laughs> and so I was gonna kind of say something along <laughs> those lines. Um, yeah, the way I write, I'm trying to make you make a decision. Um, I uh, I think that's a big deal um, as a writer is uh, letting the scene speak for themselves mm. um, and not, you know, summarizing, you know, how the reader's supposed to be feeling from it. But at the same time, you're showing the reader certain things. This is true. Yeah. I'm making conscious decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah um, thesis... I don't know if it's a thesis, but more of a hope. Mm. I mean, as I started writing all this shit and realizing kind of the pain that I went through, mm. um, and I that's why I wanted to write this book in the first place, was to kind of save people from this bullshit I went through. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. My thesis is that we can become better somehow. Um, that somehow maybe, you know, not to be Mr. Holden Caulfield, catcher in the rye, but, uh, you know, that my book can help another generation realize that they don't have to be so fucking awful to each other. They don't have to play this posturing game mm. of, uh, you know, who's the alpha, like, who's grabbing the pussy, who's punching the dudes, who's, you know, uh, who's making the most money, yeah. who's in the most power in the yeah. room. They don't have to play that fucking game. Yeah. Um, Because the way that I was being taught to play it, I was moving further and further from the values and Mm -hmm. uh, who I'd come to understand as myself or, you know, maybe more authentically was myself when you're fucking, what, eight years old and Mm. you you don't know what the fuck's going on, but you're totally being yourself. You know, you're super authentic and organic. Um, So, yeah, I just felt like I got totally thrown off that path. Mm. Um so thesis wise, I don't know if I have a thesis of how to how to change that, but kind of showing I don't know, I love talk talking about my fuck ups. Mm. Um my stumbles, my fails. Mm. Um and that's a lot of what's going on in the book. That's um, a nice concept. Yeah, I mean we all fuck up. Um and I like to laugh at them. I like mm. to, you know, reflect on them um there's a lot to learn from them and there's always something to learn from yeah. them um and that's kind of you know 
it's that seeker mentality. Mm-hmm. So I'm going back and seeing what I was seeking and mm. failing to find mm. and all that shit. Mm. So, uh, yeah, um, that's kind of, I guess that's the thesis is just, you know, learn from my fuck-ups and let's try and be better. I don't know. I just, I, yeah, I really worry about it um, mm. with, you know, who who our president is now and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's more and more apparent to me that we're, we're not in the, well, and not even just our president. Like, most women I know are much more badass than the men I know, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, you think about it, women have their shit together. Mm-hmm. And here we are drinking beer at, like, <laughs> 11 o'clock, <laughs> which is dope, but, you know. Um, There's different priorities. Huh? Yeah, yeah, but, like, I don't know. I feel like women have had to fucking pull themselves up mm. from their boot, bootstraps mm. when we've been so entitled and now we're like yeah we're we're kind of falling behind and we're being shitheads about it too mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um right yeah well I, there's something that happens in a system where like an over like a a creature that has the advantage like ends up getting fat or like yeah, that's what i was insinuating can build it so that it gets fat um but then the under underling, the underclass of that scenario is like having to fight for its existence yeah. every day. So it gets really good at fighting. And then when yeah. it comes down to it, like if it comes to it, like they'll be better. Yeah. The and pendulum switch uh, shifts right. almost. Right. Um, which, you know, I, I don't. That's basically what I said. And I agree with that. Um, I don't know if it's the most healthy way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, just because. It shouldn't be a competition between right, right. genders. Um, but th- I think that is what's happening, and it, what it's doing is... Um, well, even gender lines are weird. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, true. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm... Yeah. Um, and I'm terrible with all, like, understanding all that, too, mm-hmm. like, um, just with how much things have shifted. Mm-hmm. I'm living in Montana. I'm like, wait, what's going on in the world? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but it's not hard to figure out that no, like, it's male, not. female, yeah. or man, woman binaries are fucked up. And no, totally don't make sense. Yeah, really. yeah. yeah, no, um, yeah, no. I so I I'm just trying to say I'm not like super hip to uh, like all the whatever the political correct. That's shit what is. I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I um, still think there's like obvious ones where it's like, oh, there's effeminate men, duh, and there's fuck like yeah. masculine women, and like masculine and feminine is even a fucking weird designation. Right. But for certain like purposes, we can start to apply like ma- toxic masculinity yeah. and find it useful to point out. Yeah, for deconstruction right. purposes. Right. Um, well, especially because our culture places so much emphasis on male-female binaries yeah. and man-woman binaries that we can talk about it coherently in a in the way that it works out, like, practically. Yeah, and I think that translates well into, you know, what the book would be doing mm-hmm. is uh, pointing out that, you know, like I said, I like to float in the gray. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no black and white binary type shit. Right. Um, there's no real recipe to being masculine. Yeah. Um, though I was being told by friends, like, dude, you got to go fuck this bitch. Or like, <laughs> I mean, they weren't, they were saying it like that. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, mostly saying they felt bad I wasn't fucking bitches. Mm. And, um, oh. 
you know, and saying I was a pussy because I'm not fucking fighting people. And I'm like, oh, I'm not much of a fighter. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there was, like, supposed to be this code to, like, mm. become this this man. male figure. Yeah, man, <laughs> drink beer. Uh, yeah, take shots with no chasers. And, right. um, yeah, it's just, like, that's not totally who I was. I mean, I am... I, I'm gonna get laughed at by homies if they hear this, but I have a lot of effeminate things going mm-hmm. on too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a sensitive dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and the weird thing about those concepts is like, what they really mean is powerful a lot of the time. Yeah. And in that sense, I know of a lot of powerful men that were very quote effeminate in some of their characteristics. Yeah. And that's like where they get their leverage, like that sensitivity. If you're like a man in a man's world, and yeah. you're like uh, trying to play games. Like even in the in the, I always try to come up with like thought experiments, uh-huh. like scenarios. So if you're in a deal, like a business deal with somebody, yeah, and it's all just a bunch of like manly men, like around here, they're literally men who I'm pretty sure like can't feel their toes anymore like it's kind of weird (laughs) the the ability to feel goes from or the inability goes from like emotions to i think even bodily stuff um but uh in that scenario you literally just like have a bunch of blockheads like trying to make a deal and if you're sensitive like a, a, a quote effeminate male in that scenario you can use that to be like okay this guy seems more pissed off than this guy. No, and it and doesn't take it. a whole lot of emotional intelligence to see that. But if you have like even a little bit, if you're lucky enough as a man today to still have a little <laughs> bit of emotional intelligence, you can navigate those situations better. Yeah. And then so you see if a woman enters that scenario, she's that much better at that sense of oh, yeah. shit and can fucking slay. Like yeah. it's no wonder because she's just in a field with zombies and like all yeah. she has to do is or yeah. Right, so gorillas, basically, yeah. Right, so in that sense, like these terms definitely break down. Like sometimes people just mean powerful when they mean when they say masculine. Um, But yeah, so anyway, let's keep talking about it. Yeah, no, I think I mean that was a great um, example, but um, yeah, I think I don't know as I've kind of grown older and figured started to figure things out um beyond that it's been more about just becoming myself and not like you said Mm. putting these labels on it Um, right but um yeah doing what i think i should do and uh i was not doing that and Mm -hmm. in high school or you know growing up eventually um and yeah I, i mean i remember like I mentioned earlier, like just looking for some male figure to kind of like mm. anyone, somebody. Really though, it was it was kind of feeling. a desperate thing. I yeah. remember like I remember kind of feeling like I was putting pressure on one of my coaches um, oh. to be that male figure, huh. and resenting him when he couldn't always be there for me. Oh, um, yeah, nice little cycle there. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, because I was not super close with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was part of it too. And mm-hmm. then um, going to that all boys school, mm. it was really nice because there's no pressure to be macho around the girls. They sure. There. So they're all a bunch of fucking goofballs. It was my public school friends that were really. Oh. They were the ones pressuring me more to 
be this other person. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, we also had teachers, uh, male teachers, who uh, they had been there and done that in terms of fucking up. Um, and they were awesome teachers who we kind of looked looked up to, and I had a couple that really taught me a lot, mm. though I didn't learn a lot in school, mm. like, mm-hmm. academically. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot, you know, emotionally and... Uh, sure. Yeah. So the, at the all-male school, there were kind of, like, m- male teachers there who yeah. weren't didn't necessarily fall into the classical category of man? Uh, or is that what you're trying to say I or mean, no? No. Well, I mean, they were badass dudes. I see. Um, they didn't fall into the classic, like, teacher thing. They mm. A lot of the lessons I learned were not from the actual curriculum, yeah. but them just kind of spitballing. Right. Um, Seeing how they think about things or whatever. Yeah, and when they'd been there and done that, like, fucking up-wise, I mean, oh. so, like, uh, you know, one was running around the East Coast surfing forever, and yeah. he uh, had all these tattoos, and he'd written his his uh, doctorate thesis on tattoos, and, um, you know, uh, I won't say his name, but he basically... It was a psychology class he taught, and he told us, don't be the cokehead at the party when you go to college because it's senior year. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> had us read the study John Hopkins was doing about um, psilocybin. Oh, um, And cool. how it uh, it can uh, positively affect depression. Yeah, yeah. Um, down the road. And hmm. so we were all like, I guess we should do mushrooms. Yeah. I mean. That's kind of out. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was in 2010. Yeah, he's yeah. doing that. Um, a high school teacher. Yeah, and then the other one. Or anything? No, they didn't know. No, that was a cool thing. Is there was just like this, oh. this kind of like brotherhood. Yeah, we just talk about shit. Um, well, and I always think, uh, like upper class parents. I teach mm-hmm. some music lessons, <laughs> and it, and sometimes I get like upper class parents, and they often seem to be really into just, like, dropping their kids off at a place so they don't have to think about them anymore so they can focus on their career or whatever. Yeah. Um, so maybe that was the case of the private school where it's, it like... It could have been. I actually saw that with my brother, actually. Uh, yeah. Like, he went to a private high school for the last two years of his high school, and it was in Colorado. He had gotten in some trouble with, like, marijuana or something dumb. And Yeah. But he was a little bit, like, unfocused, and my parents were kind of worried about him. Uh, so they sent him away, basically, to Colorado, actually. Uh, Which school was it? Steamboat. It's oh, yeah. uh, Lowell Whitman, I think. Yeah, I don't know that school, but I know No, Steamboat, it's just obviously. like, a, it's kind of honestly a weird, crazy, rich school, actually. Yeah, which um, breeds it, its own interest. I mean, catch in their eye. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure it cost more than my, like, whole college tuition. I bet. Like, two years there, anyway. And it's pretty fucking crazy what those private schools go Right. Pro skier is what their focus is. They, like, offer yep. that. Yeah. Um, but my parents sent my brother away to that and he ended up learning about a bunch of like radical environmental shit and like basically a bunch of what happens i think maybe is that those private high schools end up doing more college level stuff which tends to be more liberal or whatever and questioning authority and so like if these parents just dropping off their kids there thinking like oh it's a private school like yeah they're gonna do good then they don't ask questions about like what are you reading they just assume that what you're reading is like what you're supposed to be reading maybe or no that's hilarious because my mom (laughs) she's like i sent you three boys through this catholic school yeah and none of you came out catholic (laughs) like they taught you too good yeah right um 
Yeah, well, and there's a reason for it. Yeah, they taught us to question things. Right. And, uh, I learned more about Buddhism there than I mm. remember learning Catholicism because I wasn't paying attention to the Catholicism part. But but you were in a religion context. And you're like, okay, well, I'll write about a religion then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, had friends that wrote about Rastafarianism at their Catholic high school. Fuck yeah. Yeah, so that seems like No, I'm sure there was kids in our school too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I that was definitely a thing. And, but at the same time, my mom's really a realist type person. Mm-hmm. I think she... Uh, she saw we were learning a lot of values. Oh. Um, you know, just in terms of growing, like, questioning that shit. Sure. And questioning, or in, uh, yeah, just becoming becoming good men. <laughs> <laughs> good young uh, men. Though. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe she's willing to take that stuff. Oh, for, yeah. yeah. She, yeah. Um, so anyhow, yeah, that's cool to have a teacher to give you a fucking... Yeah. about psilocybin. No, and I mean, there was another teacher who followed fish around forever. I mean, I fucking hate fish, but mm. um, but that dude was pretty rad as well. You hate fish? The band. Oh, oh, the band. What are you talking about? Oh, like, shit. Sorry. A yeah. bio- a biology. Yes, no. Fish are cool. Um, I don't like the band, fish. No, I don't um, either. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, no, he was a cool dude where he's, you know, anybody who's a budding musician, I mean... Oh. While he liked fish, he also liked a lot of other good tunes. Sure, um, right. So he's handing just out music badass, yeah, albums to kids. Cool. And, um, teaching the history of rock and roll. Oh. So the weirdos can maybe find a job in a private high school. Fuck yeah, <laughs> dude. There was a lot of weird teachers. They were That's awesome. Funny. Yeah, um, and they just kind of left us well rounded and right, not overthinking things. Where right. the other side, like I said, with my public public uh, public school friends. Um, yeah, I was just not, I was not questioning them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it was oh. actually, yeah, um, it's actually something Karen brought up uh, that was an interesting dynamic in my rebellion. Karen, again, is your Is my, the lady. editor, yeah, yeah kind of um, mentor. Um, but with my rebellion that I thought I was having with my public school friends is, you know, driving around drunk. Um, oh. Right. Trying to fuck everything yeah. um, and fight everything. Um, so with that and trying to be a rebel there, I'm also kind of just conforming to what they're ex- they're expecting. Mm. So uh, so I'm not even really understanding what I'm rebelling against. Oh, I'm actually conforming and to right. that toxic masculinity type right, thing and right, right. Um, not being myself. So mm. I don't know. I thought that was an interesting dynamic she brought up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the kind of dichotomy there, I guess. I don't know. Right, right. That's strange that there would be like a little, um, in some ways, probably like highly regulated, like cloistered thing away from public spheres. Yeah. Like where like private institutions do offer like less bullshit, for example. Yeah. Like in some senses, especially if you compare them to like a school in a ghetto or whatever. Yeah. Um, So maybe like take on that spectrum, like private schools to ghetto schools, like public schools are somewhere in the middle. And so you kind of start to get some of the, and not to like vilify ghettos at all, but there is like more toxic shit in ghettos in some ways. Um, I don't know. There's obviously plenty of addiction and toxicity. Yeah. Well, and I guess I should have prefaced this public school that I should have gone to as the one that, you know, John Elway's kid went to. Oh. And, um, 
the one that, you huh. know, they're chanting at the ghetto schools, your dads work for our dads type oh, shit at football shit. games. Yeah, so it was a really nice Interesting. school. Interesting. Okay. Um, See, I don't have experience. Around here, we don't have, like, nice high schools. We just have, I know. Like, I always, yeah, it's just, yeah, it was really weird where I came from. Right. Um, where all these kids are driving, you know, $50,000 cars around. God damn. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it wasn't all like that. It was a 4,000, 4,000, uh, the population was 4,000 students. So, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, not everybody was Big. ridiculous and and such um but the kids who are out hanging out with definitely took the the affluence and the entitlement mm. to that to that uh really unhealthy degree and so were these kids that y- you like were neighbors kind of and just happened to I go played to the football with all, with okay. them and you know I'm still best friends with one of them uh-huh. and we really went through a lot actually mm. um and yeah I'm actually going to go to his wedding here in a few months but yeah, we weren't able to, I wasn't able to talk to the kid for a long time, mm. and he had to go to rehab. Oh, and, shit. Um, yeah, he sent himself through the, the ringer, like, over and over again. Mm. Um, and I'd have to tell him, you know, can't handle this shit anymore. Mm-hmm. Friend know, breakup. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I played that game. Um, mm. I know how it ends, and I don't really give a shit about how it ends anymore. Like, yeah. you need to get your shit together. Um, and he has, so. Yeah, um, that's cool. But there's other ones who, yeah, I don't know what they're fucking doing. Mm. They're probably still living off of dad's paycheck and mm. fucking shit up. I just heard about a fucking kid, guy, it seems like a kid. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently he's living in Germany with a girlfriend, and he's a, he was a soccer player. Okay. I don't know if he's still playing. But his dad owns a, like, dishwasher maintenance company here or something he gets like a paycheck for being in germany and like supposedly working on the website but like never actually doing yeah and he like makes twice as much as me probably yeah (laughs) it's like what the fuck dude no and i'm um, like working on all day every day for what i got and yeah damn (laughs) no and And i'm still privileged i want to acknowledge that like exactly that's what i was gonna say i had college pretty much paid for as did i yeah um yeah, and I'm I am definitely still privileged too, but um there's I don't know. I was talking to to Karen, my editor, the other day about this, just I don't know. Um the fact that they're given everything but then also told they're supposed to earn it and mm. how that fucks them up. Oh, that's a weird ass compliment. Yeah, I don't it's know. It's like a black hole, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um and, you know, I'm sure we kind of went through that in our own little way, though. We, mm. you know, eventually were, were kicked off the teat a little bit mm. um, to figure it out for ourselves. Right. But, um, yeah, I saw guys who were just given everything. Um, there's a character in my book who definitely, um, I don't know, I call him the Donald Trump of basically, I don't call him that in the book, mm. but that's how mind. I think about yeah. him. Yeah, and he's like, you know driving around this $65,000 car drunk going 150 down I-25 telling me how I need to fuck more things and mm. not give a fuck and he's smoking a blunt and like mm. rapping I'm like who I remember just Damn. like yeah it's weird as fuck dude and the kid like <laughs> continued to do that shit yeah. um 
And it was funny because eventually people grow out of that, but he never grew. He, he didn't die in a car accident or something. Um, that shit fucked. That, no, because that's not. To no, make there a was joke, one time joke, I thought we might die in a car accident. That happens to those kids all the time, man. Like, what happens if you have a fast car and you're young kid drinking or whatever you're yeah. doing? Oh, he crashed that car yeah. and he crashed other cars. Um, mm. Oh but, Jesus! Yeah, yeah. No, he. Uh, but it was just this like. I don't know. It was like desperation to prove himself. Yeah, yeah. And when you're 17, you're not really realizing how mm-hmm. to deal with that and what. It's a weird game for a 17 year old. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think I realized how fucked up and um like he seemed so confident in that moment, but mm-hmm. you know he's not that confident. Yeah, nobody's um, driving 150 on the interstate with a blunt in their mouth. It's like, yeah, rapping and God, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Well, maybe if you're like a real guy doing that, then he like was. If you're a real gangster doing that, then. yeah, no, that was the <laughs> other thing. He's like talking about. I don't know. <laughs> it was funny. I mean, those white kids love to try and get their, like the kids I was hanging around would love to try to get their, you know, their fingers in on the on the kids who. Would Sorry to say they came from worse neighborhoods because mm-hmm. they are good athletes. Oh? Um, yeah. And so they'd be hanging out with those kids trying to get in on the drug scene with them. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's like Trying to do some gangster shit. Some like gangster shit. And yeah. you're like, dude, you fucking got it made. Just Damn. fucking chill the fuck out. Um, well, what else does a kid do? I mean, they're just like aimless and they don't have values. Like, Right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. And they never gain those values. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like, that's what I want to kind of study, like, yeah. or at least think about is, you know, wh- why do we have somebody like Donald Trump today and, like, wh- <laughs> tweeting and, like, um, basically just, yeah, ranting like a fucking child. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he never fucking grew up. <laughs> right. Some of the things he say, you're like, he says, you're like, you, you weren't a big enough man to just not acknowledge that dude. Right. Right. Um, well, and then like that Kavanaugh shit came down. Did well, you, that's another one. Dude, and that I'm, was gnarly so he went to a Jesuit school. Like I did. Oh. I played that school in lacrosse every oh, year. Oh, those dudes were assholes. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. It was like a, Man, I think it cost 30 grand to go there a year when I played them. Yeah. It was a nice fucking school. Yeah. We hated In high school? It. This is high school. Yeah. Yeah, out in DC. Mm-hmm. So it was all senators kids and shit. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. Um okay. or lobbyist kids. Right, um, right. Yeah, I remember playing that team. I mean, they were so good. Mm. Um the closest we came was like 9 to 3 against them, but um they wow. were just assholes. <laughs> like you came all the way out here to get your ass kicked by us. Uh-huh. Like you could have stayed home and shit. And all. <laughs> but anyways, Kavanaugh went there, uh-huh. and as you hear some of those things going on, you know you're like, yeah, I was at those parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't didn't see anything like what was being described, but mm-hmm. um, definitely the beer, the girls, boys and girls vulnerable, not mm-hmm. knowing what the fuck they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um. Trying to do something but not knowing what they're doing and it's like Well and that's a weird thing, man. Like I always get spun out about how incredibly good at just creating like toxicity machines it yeah. is. Yeah. Like and in that I usually mean people, but like Fuck people yeah. can come together to create a beautiful, like 
bigger cooperative toxicity machine. Um, oh, like not, not actually beautiful. Pitchforks, pitchforks <laughs> and lanterns, dude. Right, right, right. Like we are at each other's throats. It's fucking stupid right. these days. Well, and you gotta wonder why, because like presumably we didn't get here by killing each other or like by hating each other. Like, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense for a species to do well if it's killing itself. <laughs> so but like, we seem to be doing that. Well, I think we've gotten to the point where that seems like our natural logic, but I don't think yeah. that as animals, that's our real logic because animals no. are supposed to live. No, animals have a, a cyclical thing to them where they're constantly creating for each other, basically. Right, 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 right. Um, so we don't have that. We've started creating for something else. It, some for of this destruction. Shit, <laughs> well, I always think of it like a computer... Uh, kind of sci-fi world where like yeah some people I, I like chris ryan a lot do you know that guy uh-uh. he wrote sex at dawn which is a cool okay you should check that out if you're interested in like okay. sexuality or masculinity definitely that yeah i would check that out um he talks about it as like today humans are less like an animal and more like a um a species that is pregnant with a new species which could be like a technological species and our main job is to bring that to fruition it happens through capitalism it seems because capitalism is able to measure things and numbers Mm -hmm. and incorporate them um damn it why am i talking about this oh well so today it it from that standpoint, it seems to make sense. If humans are no longer like an animal for its own sake, but are an yes. animal for something else, which would be like accumulating capital or creating high tech shit, like you could say it's that, then it makes sense that we're killing each other because we're no longer interested in ourselves as a yeah. species. We're interested in accumulating money or whatever you want to say we're interested yeah, in. Yeah, capital of some sort. Right. And it, so there's this whole thing, and he talks about it in Sex at Dawn, where like, um, when Jane Goodall was observing chimpanzees, they noticed that as they were there, the longer they were there studying them, um, the chimpanzees became aggressive. Yeah. Became more and more aggressive. And it seems like it was because the researchers were mm. bringing boxes of bananas to lure the monkeys in so they yeah. could observe them. And, of course, this is a classic mistake of science where you think that your presence there doesn't affect what you're there to observe. Yes. Um, so, like... By bringing this pile of bananas into the forest, they were bringing a concentrated resource into the forest, something that was worth fighting over all of a sudden. And a giant variable at that. Right. So, yeah. like, before that, the apes, if they were hungry, they just go find a banana or whatever. Like, yeah. Like, pick it off the tree. Um, so there's kind of equal access for everybody in that sense. Like, there's differences oh, depending on how well you can climb or, like, how fast you can yeah. get the banana or whatever. But otherwise, it's spread out. Other in the case with like Jane Goodall, it was all concentrated, so the apes had something to fight over. So they started acting more aggressive, and so I think that's the scenario for us more. Like definitely, in culture, all of a sudden we have this because of agriculture. You could say like that was the time when we started like figuring out how to concentrate resources or how mm-hmm. to build them up and store them. Yeah. Um, ever since then, we've had a pile of bananas to fight over. And well, that makes sense. That Giant cities that we're living in. Well, and if you look at the structure now, it's billionaires. It's like a feudal system with billionaires at the top. Yeah. And so, like, there's far more people splitting far less of the resources. And yeah. Far fewer people taking up the resources at the top. So if there's less at the bottom, there's just, like, 
a whole bunch of people fighting over scraps. And yeah. that's my analogy usually is like us fighting over scraps. No, and that's and if you think badass. of us as animals fighting over scraps, then it makes a lot more sense of how people behave. Because when you're fighting over scraps, you're greedy as fuck. Yeah. Like, and that's why we're all afraid of each other like stealing our shit that isn't even worth that much like <laughs> but it is worth that much yeah. in the context of like our situation like a totally. $500 TV is worth stealing if you have a $500 rent bill to pay no totally right but like anyway so that's a whole fucking rant I have and no and I mean that definitely highlights some shit that I'm that I'm like trying to work through mm. like why are we so fucking bad to each other yeah, sometimes yeah. um yeah. We're just in fight or flight mode. Like, I just think totally. Of us, and, like, literally also, we're in our cars, like, f- driving around fast. Like, you're kind of scared on a fundamental level that you could die any minute. Right. That's when road rage happens. Like, so in that context, that that symbol of aggression has reasons behind it. And it's because you're an animal who's not designed to be driving around <laughs> at, like, 35 or 50 miles an hour or whatever. Yeah, 80 in, yeah, in right. Montana. Let alone, yeah. <laughs> um, no, and that's definitely... Um, that was a perspective that changed some shit for me. Um, you know, having one of those breakfast conversations with Karen, um, she says, she was like, anytime you get upset, Mm. think about the fear that you're having at that moment. Mm. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, that's, you're, you're afraid of something when you're upset, Mm -hmm. like sad, angry, you're reacting to some sort of fear. Right. And, you know, you try and argue with that, but if you really think about it, you can trace everything back to some fear. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, if you're sad, like the fear of loneliness, or if you're angry, the fear of loneliness, or mm. um, <laughs> or of not, you know, of not being able to eat because you have no money. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and then when you're in, when you put a million people together in a small place, like you said, and... It's almost like the feudal system, and there's only that much resources. Um, People's uh, I, uh, IQ goes down when they have bills to pay. Really? Yeah, there's studies that show that. So, like, when there's that kind of pressure on, you're actually dumber, and, like, we'll probably get mad about dumber shit, like, quicker than you Oh, would I could see that. Normal I'm an idiot when I have to figure out bills. Right. Well, so then you could see a bunch of people trying to figure out their bills, like... They get in fights easier. No, yeah, you get it's the stress level goes up. Yeah, and then the beer is opened. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I interrupted you though. No, no, I mean that's all I was saying was Mm. that you had a great point with um, how you're explaining all that Mm. um, in terms of resources and I don't know. I think I think when it comes down to it, we are we are just animals. Um, Right. I don't know though. Like you said, there's a difference, though. Well, there's a difference now. We're animals that have figured out to store our knowledge, and maybe yeah. I think that's, like, the only difference, like, whether that's in the form of language that we can pass down, Yeah. right? Like, how do you build a fire? That was one I ended up tripping out on really hard the other... I went camping in... I don't remember where it started. But there was a time, I'm pretty sure, when humans didn't have fire. Yeah. Which is fucking nuts. Yeah, like, like just living in the dark. We were out camping, right? And all we had was our flashlights once it got dark. And then we started a fire. But when I was thinking about it from that angle, it was like, if you're out in the wilderness and you don't have fire, when it's dark, it's dark. Like, when you're cold, There were a lot cold. more predators back then, too. Yeah, dude. 
so that would have been like crazy but then somehow somebody because i was trying to think of it mechanically like if you were a quote wild human before like civilization happened and you didn't know how fire worked you didn't know anything about fire first of all you have to like reorient and think about yourself as like a wild animal and be like if i was a wild animal when would i see fire only time you would see fire, it seems, is in the case of a wildfire. Danger. When it's out of t- out of fucking control. Yeah. So you're in you're right. Your in- instinct is to run away from that. Yeah. You're not gonna try to figure it out. Like harness it. Hmm, how does this work? Yeah. It may be that like somebody discovered how fire worked, um, like in the embers after a wildfire. They're like, oh yeah. shit. Because for a long time. I found this out because Paul Stamets is like a mycologist. He was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. Okay. Um, which I unapologetically listen to, but I have some caveats about Rogan. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's out there, man. Yeah. But yeah. I, yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, and like there's I some said, bullshit, but he's pretty. I good. like him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but Stamets was had this hat on uh, that's made out of a fungus, and um, oh. the fungus is really flammable, but also burns really slow. Okay. And Stamets was nerding out really hard because uh, one of the first like skeletons we have that was preserved in the ice, it was the guy like the Ice Man. Yeah, yeah. He had a belt on. And on that belt was a little pouch made of the same fabric, fungus? which is the fungus that Stam- Stamets had his hat made out of. So it seems like that was an early tool humans used to um, carry an ember around and harness fire. And, and harness fire. And before that, or before that, they didn't know like even how to carry fire around. We didn't yet know that you could strike like flint against steel yeah. and make sparks on a tinder and make a flame and then make an ember. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about how like we came upon fire and now people have lighters in their pockets, matches, like yeah. um, car shit. It's everywhere. And in terms of light, we have like electric light and that's fucking everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember why. I started talking about that. Because we're just animals, man. Yeah, because we're just animals. <laughs> Before that, that's it. Like, we were just an animal without yeah. fire, without any tools. We were like a naked worm. Like, yeah. Shakespeare called it a naked worm in, yeah. like, uh, King Lear. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. So in those terms, like, we're not that different. But And it's kind of weird to think about animal knowledge. Like, presumably they have forms of languages that they've come up with to pass along. Like, here's how you collect... He, honey from a flower or migration or, routes and such right, right. yeah and but we're not that much different i mean with right. the way we commu- communicate is not always on this verbal mm. um you know more conscious level or I, even often right yeah yeah and i mean that's um that's one thing that you like i kind of learn um through my book is like Especially when you're an adolescent human and you really don't know the communication. Yes. You're like fumbling around and right. Um, do I grab him by the pussy type thing? You know, do I sure. kiss this girl? Uh, do they like me? Right, um, right. Do, does this guy want to get in a fight type thing? And that's like the posturing I was telling you about. Right. Um, it's, thinking of it as like a kid trying to navigate like an office or yeah. like some some arena where they're not at all prepared for yeah but then all of a sudden they're thrust into like a world with over sexualized advertising or right and well and then there's there's adults and kid peers that are telling them they know Mm. what's going on Mm -hmm. i mean they're playing fake it till you make it but Mm -hmm. you don't even know that game yet Mm -hmm. i mean that's what i was going through so i was believing every fucking thing that i was hearing right um and we yeah what does that do to you when you're like 
I don't know, you get so confused. and Yeah, fundamentally confused. Yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, like from a societal thing, you're getting all these over-sexualized, over-violent mm-hmm. um, messages from um, everywhere, really. Um, and then we were wondering why we're having all these hopeless kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, like a lot of young males are killing themselves these days. Mm-hmm. And or, or junkies. Or junkies, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Well, it's a form of killing yourself. Yeah. I mean, like we said, Kerouac, right. he said, I can't truly kill myself, so I'll just drink myself to death. Right. So, Like a good Catholic. Like a good Catholic would, <laughs> yes. Take the communion very seriously. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, I'll take the, that bottle home with me. Yeah, keep the it blood safe of Christ. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, I mean... Yeah, that's kind of what I was feeling is just this sense of bewilderment, bewilderment and mm-hmm. hopelessness. Um, and I still feel that I'm, mm-hmm. you know, as an artist, um, yeah. th- that hopelessness comes up all the time because yeah. you're told that there are these rules like that you're that I'm supposed to have a job like all my other friends mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to be applying for the country club and I'm <laughs> supposed to have a nicer car and I'm, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm supposed to be able to buy a house. Um, instead I'm living in fucking Montana and mm-hmm. basically paying rent and going on hikes with my dog mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. trying to write a book. And, um, that's more authentic for me. Right. Um, and, that has helped me from the hope hopelessness, but um, there's a lot of people that don't get out of that shit. Mm. And they keep following that track, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they have to buy a Ferrari at 50 to make themselves feel good or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. I mean, that's cliche as shit, but... I don't know um, anybody that can afford a Ferrari, but... <laughs> no, at 50, I'm saying. You know, the oh. midlife crisis yes, type yes, thing, yes. you know? Um, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, nice car. Yeah, but no, I'm saying, like... Uh, I guess that... That fake it till you make it Starting that early Right Um, And then you find out at the end That you're still just fucking fake You're still faking it Yeah And you're like wait So what am I gonna do Right I'm gonna die in a few years Like What have I done That I actually care about Other than Yeah Um, Do I care about anything Right (laughs) That's the other thing It's like What have you had to give up In in order to get to where you are Yeah Is your capacity for caring about anything but work gone? No, and I so I had to deal with that a lot in my book. Um, mm. Like I said, didn't really have a great relationship with my father. Don't want uh, to totally tell my readers what to think. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to just put these scenes of my father in mm. um, and leave them as scenes. Mm. I mean, obviously. They're not always positive. Mm-hmm. She um, likes beer, actually. So. Oh, does she? I don't know if you're smart cat. comfortable with this. <laughs> no, I love I love animals. <laughs> it's almost gone. I got to open up another one. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that was something I struggled with with my dad was um, was trying to what discover. What he cared about? Yeah, trying to discover the authenticity in him because mm. I never really – Knew him, you know, he mm. never really opened up, mm-hmm. especially at that age. Mm. I mean, we're a lot better now, and um, mm-hmm. I'd say he's more authentic now. Mm. Um, but at that time, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't know him, and I'm like, well, what the fuck is the meaning of his life, right? And 
I don't see any meaning in it, in it and I'm terrified I'm going down that path. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to have to become a businessman mm-hmm. of some mm-hmm. sort. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your dad do? He's done it all, um, but a lot with mortgages and real estate. Okay. Um, and he paved out a, he paved out a good living for himself. You yeah. know, we grew up very comfortably. Um, mm-hmm. And to this day, you know, yeah. he he lives very comfortably. Um, but that's what I had to figure out. Like, is there any meaning to what he did? Um, and I kind of mm. established he did it all for us. Mm. But it didn't feel like that as a kid because we never saw him um, type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Right. He also That's a whole fucked up thing. Really, right? Yeah. Pretty hard to understand. But at the same time, he also, you know, he made all of his money really early on and mm. he quit that job to go pave his own path cuz he didn't want to have his own boss. Mm. So, you know, that took some balls. Right, right. Um some balls. Some balls. Yeah. Talk about some <laughs> some masculinity. <laughs> um Yeah, damn it. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, maybe I should open this next beer. But um <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, it, there was some auth- authenticity that he had and that people in Denver are having, I mm. guess. Um, th- sorry to say Denver, but that's just, you know. Your reference. That's okay. the antithesis of me at this point, yeah. you know. That's my reference. Um, right. So, um, yeah, I really had to struggle with that. Um, but it's, I don't know, I guess that's what it came down to is making conscious decisions for myself and mm. what's going to be good for myself mm. um, rather than faking it till I make it type right. thing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Well, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense that, like, I mean, there's a lot of romance around the family and, like, around being a dad. Yeah. But then at the same time, that you romance... You want one of these, let me know. I, I might grab another one. All right, cool. Um, thanks. Um... Like, where dad is romanticized for going to work and being away. Yeah. And providing. So there's a weird cognitive dissonance that happens there where, like, we're supposed to be thankful for our dad and learn from him even though he's not here. Super indirectly, yeah. Right. Um, And he's supposed to be, like, the most important male figure in your life or something. Which he, quite frankly, was in... Maybe still is not. Sorry, Dad, but... Well, I mean... <laughs> yeah. It, and it's not any fault of his own. Like, no. Uh, to me, it's just the structure of where we are. Like, if you have a family now, unless you're very rich, chances are you're going to be working all the time... Yeah. ...to support it. Um, and, like, more often than not, your kids are going to get closer with their teachers where they're being dropped off at school... Yeah. ...for most of the day, right? Like, because w- the way I was raised, like, my dad was a single dad, and he had a good job. He's a lobbyist. Okay. Um, which is kind of funny because I'm a goddamn, yeah. like, anti-capitalist now. Um, <laughs> huh. um, oh, damn it. I lost the track. Your dad's a lobbyist. Uh, yeah, that distracted single me. Single dad. I got self-conscious about my dad being a lobbyist. <laughs> 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 um... But no, you're just, I think you're just talking about... Well, so he was a single dad, and so he was dad, supporting yeah. us materially, and he was doing a pretty good job of raising us on his own, but he's still just a guy. Like, yeah. Like, and from my kind of, like, ancient context, the way I think of it is, like, tribe type or village type uh, I'm settings. I'm thinking the same thing. Like, Takes in those village. settings, 
you have multiple male partners who are accepted as male partners and it's normal for them to be male partners. Yeah. And it's accepted that one man can't be the single role model for like all his sons. Totally. And I think we accept that in our culture, but not consciously, not importantly enough for it to like keep the confusion away. Right. Cause if, if we even just change something in that scenario as small as being like, it's okay for you to learn from people other than your dad and for you to kind of think of them as your dad in some sense. Yeah. Like you can have multiple dads. Like totally. that's okay. You wouldn't be as confused. You'd be like, well, it makes sense that like this dad is gone sometimes and I learn how to like provide from him and like how yeah. to like go to work and go to get the job done. But this dad is like more available emotionally. Um, and, and it wouldn't be confusing because you wouldn't be expecting basically your expectations would no, be set totally. properly so yeah. that you wouldn't be expecting something impossible from one person. Cause I, yeah, resented the fuck out of him for that. Right. Know? Um, but how could he ever do that? Like, yeah, no work that type of job and make that type of money and be around for his yeah. kids, like yeah. emotionally or whatever. Yeah. Um, okay, kitty. and I think, like I said, I resented a coach for, for that at one point um where i was looking for this like superman figure mm. um to really show me the way mm-hmm. um, oh so it shifts yeah 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 so um i put way too much stock in all these male figures who are older than me right um mm. when all of them are teaching me like you said um that's what i, I was gonna use the tribal Mm. You know, it takes a village type right. thing. Um, and that's one thing we're like, so I don't think we're really good at doing anymore. I don't know. No, um, I think we're allergic to it a little bit now or trained well, to be allergic to and it. And I think that's why I love Red Lodge because yeah. it is a tribe there. Mm. It's so small. Yeah. If you find like-minded people, you're like bonded together. Or- yeah. Well, everybody's just so supportive. Mm. I've never gone somewhere where I'm like everyone's like so what do you do oh you're a writer do you know this writer do you oh, you know um sure oh you're really into wilderness let's get you a job with this mm-hmm. um you know everybody's always asking what you're doing trying to help right um i mean that is the ut- utopia part of it but there's there are negatives they're also interested in your shit and <laughs> yeah yeah all of a sudden i can't go can... anywhere without something yeah, yeah being mentioned um but there's that tribalness to it that is just you know a community we don't cooperative community um yeah um well like summer is in red lodge and yeah she listened to my podcast with drew and then was like hey totally my friend is a writer and has some shit that seems like you'd be interested in talking about yeah i mean that is the prime example i mean right uh everybody's up to bat for everybody um and it's yeah the community cooperative um type of uh thing I, there's another word i'm looking for but i can't mm. get it out symbiotic of symbiotic is definitely something i but would use <laughs> no it is something i would use i use it in um the book um yeah. fucking not to talk about the beats more but gary snyder um, have you ever read his? Yeah, I know uh, what about is that Gary one? Snyder. Gary's a badass. He's this Buddhist dude, and he basically did. You ever read? Uh, did you ever read Dharma Bombs? Yeah, I did actually. So he's Jaffe. 
the main Buddhist dude. Oh, okay. Who climbs mountains. Yeah. So, yeah. It's that, been a long time. I read that like yeah, 10 years ago, yeah, maybe. No. Yeah. Totally fine. But, um, yeah, Gary Snyder basically was there for that part of the beat thing. And okay. then he fucked off and went and studied Zen Buddhism in Japan for like 10 years. Oh. And came back and it was the summer of love. Okay. And San Fran. Far and out. Just like, what up, guys? Let me tell you about Buddhism. Damn. Okay. Yeah. So he's like a guy for sure. Yeah. No, he's a badass. But he wrote this awesome essay called "The Etiquette of um, the Etiquette of of the Wild." Mm. I would say. Nice. Um, I was going to ask you about another wild essay, but go ahead. Um, well, yeah, I'll just say this real quick. But yeah, it's, yeah. A lot of it's about take your time community and uh, reframing the word wild mm. um, as not a negative thing, yeah, but yeah. rather um, a cooperative. Um, Oh, yeah, it's symbiotic mm-hmm. type thing. I would definitely recommend it. That's it's, cool. It's one of the coolest essays I've ever read, and I definitely refer to it. So nice. Um, trying to become symbiotic, yeah, as an individual, yeah, yeah. within a community. That that was a big part of my book. So I think we're trained so much not to be symbiotic on like a fundamental yeah. level. Like, do you think that's the country, or I think do you it's think Western culture? Maybe? Yeah, Western culture. I should and say, and like. America is a sort of really intense example of that. Yeah. Um, where just fundamentally, usually we think of things, this is kind of the fighting over scraps mentality. Yeah. Like the if somebody else gets something, that means there's less for me to access yeah. or less for me to get. Um, and so in that sense, like symbiosis doesn't really exist. Like there's creatures who need resources and like there's a limited set of resources and as long as one is taking away from that set, that means there's less resources for everybody else. Yeah. But in a symbiotic context, there would be mechanisms that made it such that, like, you taking from res- from a resource pool wouldn't necessarily detract from it. Because like, you're resource- giving back at the same time. You're giving back somehow, or the resource pool is structured differently. Like, yeah. before, we didn't have a box of bananas that were being provided to us. We had the trees that we could yeah. pick, right? Like, it was more accessible directly. No. But... Um, so yeah, symbiosis, I think is something that's really cool to try to retrain ourselves on and like try to check yourself in like little instances of yeah. like greediness or jealousy or whatever it is. I know. Yeah. Like, yeah, the jealousy, jealousy thing comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I always refer to Red Lodge as Red Lodge Montana. Mm. So, um, when a pretty girl comes to town, it's like, oh yeah. All the dudes are, yeah, it's it's hilarious. You want to talk about being animalistic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the jealousy arises between friends very right. quickly, so right. it's kind of silly. Um, but, no, I totally, it's funny we're talking about this because um, you've heard of Trophic uh, Cascade, right? Mm-mm. So it's basically a symbiosis type thing mm-hmm. where um, I'm sure you've seen this YouTube video of the wolves in Yellowstone and how they change the rivers. No. Okay, cool. Um, or w- was it be with the elk and shit? Yeah, it's, it's because the elk were eating the willows up, yeah, and yeah. Um, there's a lot more going on. Right. Like, there's beavers involved and stuff, but right. basically from restructuring the um, the uh, food, the food 
pyramid. Sorry. Yeah, Jeez. food chain thing. Food chain, yeah. Um, <laughs> back to what it was supposed to be, mm. it all trickled down. Right. Um, some Reaganomics for you in the <laughs> environmental world. Um, Those wolves are... Yeah. It makes sense, actually. Smart guys, yeah, Trump, right? Trump yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Huh. No, wolves are positive, not negative. Trump has... No, but Trump yeah. has an ally in wolves that he didn't realize. Yeah, he well, please save the wolves, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how we frame it to them. They're badass capitalists, dude. <laughs> Um, Apex, they're like yeah. you, bro. Yeah, Apex, <laughs> like you. Somebody tweet that to Trump, please. Um, but no, uh, yeah, basically that them killing elk. I mean, it goes back to my favorite childhood movie, fucking Lion King, mm. Circle of Life type the shit. Circle yeah, of life. but um, yeah, I definitely harp on that in my book. Of um, I wouldn't say harp, but I use it as. Somewhat of a trope uh, or something. A poetic trope, mm-hmm. indeed. Yeah. Um, I also mentioned the Lion King, in case you're wondering. Good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, all of that being a community that's giving back to one another mm. while also taking. There's mm-hmm. this, you know, there's this balance. Mm. Um, and we are obviously mm-hmm. feeling pretty out of balance, um, whether it be as males, you know. We're all killing ourselves. Yeah. Young males or um, just as a society as a whole. I mean, fucking having to do nuclear bombs and shit. I've been watching that Mm. Chernobyl show and I can't even get through it. It's Mm. like people, we're just so fucked up, Mm -hmm. man. Um, Yeah. So trying to figure out how to get back to that Mm -hmm. um, in a more positive way. When I watched that Chernobyl show, have you ever heard of uh, Robinson Jeffers? Mm-mm. Badass poet. Um, he was really big. He was the first poet on the cover of the Times, I believe, mm. uh, or of oh, Times wow. Magazine. Yeah, Time Back, Magazine. Yeah, Time Magazine. Sorry, it's um, not really around anymore. So yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't even know that. You could be forgiven. Yeah. For forgetting. Um, but anyways, he was the for... first one, first poet ever to be. Or writer to be on Times Magazine <coughs> and uh, or Time Magazine um, in the twenties, and he kind of got forgotten about because his his idea was basically that uh, you know humans are fucking dumbasses and nature knows right type thing to put it in the most rudimentary way right, um, but uh, he he got forgotten about because he brought up. Um, because he wrote about World War II, and he was staunchly against it. Because mm. basically, he was like, "You guys are all pieces of shit." Because mm-hmm. you're, we have this brain that's just self-destructive, right? Um, and so that's why nobody really knows about Robinson Jeffers. Mm. Um, is because he was swept against the rug. World, yeah, they swept him under the rug. But um, yeah, when I watch that Chernobyl show, that's what I have in my mind. Mm. I'm like. Humans fucking suck. Mm. Right now they do, man. I think it's just because of our machination, like machinations, more yeah. than our. Well, and if we could get back to that whatever. communal thing that we're talking yeah. about, that's like that's my hope. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, as I'm saying, I hope my book brings hope to young kids. I'm also like talking about being hopeless right now so. oh i'm hopeless as fuck dude yeah i made a sticker that says no hope Actually, <laughs> i should give you a sticker for you <laughs> word i think i have them yeah um 
Well, it's kind of a weird line because we are at a place of where there isn't a lot of reason to be hopeful. Like my my timeline for us doesn't look good. Yeah. Like as far as climate stuff and even fucking machine takeover or something crazy like yeah. that might be in our future and I don't know what humans look like under that. I don't know, and, man. Um So it's kind of weird. Like I'm at a place where I don't feel very hopeful and like but I'm still also trying to be at a place where I'm okay with being alive. Like sometimes I'm yeah to the point where I think we're so fucked that like it seems like we're not supposed to be here anymore, and like we're literally. I definitely being, like, get that sensation sometimes. Getting like shoved out or like ground into dust, like and being done with that way. Like, um, so I don't have a lot of hope. But it, I guess, do you know about like Michelle Foucault at all? Foucault, yeah, but you gotta. He's got a whole thing, and I don't know him well. He's enough, an actually. old school philosopher, right? Kind of old, school. not old school. Yeah, but. yeah. Old enough where I learned about him but forgot He's about him. He's a little retro, exactly. Yeah. Um, one of his things is called, like, um, hyperactive nihilism, or that's kind of the, the idea. It's like... Yeah. Um, and he wouldn't say nihilism because he has values that he's fighting for, but it's almost like that. We're like, all trying to convince we're s- ourselves we're not nihilists. <laughs> right. Well, right. <laughs> but his point is, like, I have values, and it's not clear that there's anything that I can do to, like, really enact those values. Yeah. And, like, it seems like we're between a rock and a hard place. But kind of regardless, I'm going to thrash around and, like, make a bunch of noise or whatever it is, like, on my way out, basically. Some Edward Abbey agitation shit. I guess it is. Yeah. 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 Um, so I kind of take that. And Abbey's another big uh, figure in my mind. Yeah. I'm just, like, being like, okay, well, fuck this. Like, these are giant structures, and I understand how giant they are or kind of understand how giant they are, how deep they are. Um, and it doesn't seem like I could really change them, but I'm sure as hell not going along with it. So yeah. like, whatever it means not to do that, I'll I'll do that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, yeah. I, and I think it's like a real skill to be able to go between those two worlds of like recognizing how fucked we are and then also finding somehow like the energy to keep going and the solace yeah yeah somewhere like and you can find it especially if you're into nature stuff like there's still sunsets around and like there's still blue sky although yeah. i'm not sure how long there will be a blue sky if you hear about like geoengineering projects and stuff that's i've definitely likely. heard about some of that yeah so we might not have a blue sky but even with a brown sky like your cat is an instance of beauty that yeah. is kind of from nature or uh you can kind of pick up pieces here and there to like keep going, but it doesn't look good. Like, I don't know if I got really nerded out on um, climate change stuff in college. Yeah. Like ended up doing some environmental philosophy stuff and that involved us just going backpacking pretty much. And like um, reading essays, the one I was going to mention to you is called um, the wild, a rant on the wild by Jack. Actually, Let's yeah, I, maybe it'd be nice to look it up, but it, um, and maybe it might be. I wanted to talk about that with you actually because it's kind of like an updated Abby okay. viewpoint. I was gonna say a rant sounds like Abby. Yeah, yeah. Oh. A rant Jack. on the wild. Yeah. By Jack somebody. Jack something. Jack Turner? Ab- yeah, Jack Turner. Uh huh. Abstract. Oh, here's an app. Yeah, the app. The abstract wild yeah. rant. Uh huh. 
Okay. Um. Well, so anyway, real quick, just to finish. Yeah, up with, yeah. With the other shit, like we went and we learned about how fucked it is. Like we went up into the mountains and saw white bark pines that were like hundreds of years old. Yeah, who those are being have been totally decimated. Eaten by pine beetles because now that it's warm enough on the peaks, the pine yep. beetles are able to complete more life cycles and do more damage and make their way further up the mountain. I mean, that was my childhood. I was watching mm. the pine beetles just take down yeah. all of Colorado's right. mountains. Right, and there's really devastating predictions for some of that. Like in a worst-case scenario, the pine beetle could make its way up Rocky Mountains and across um, forests in Canada and then down forests on the east coast of America, just, like, decimating Jesus. our whole forest thing and then also obviously well, creating more wildfire. And you want to talk about, you know, the symbiotic or, you know, mm. the antithesis of oh. symbiotic. The white, the white bark pine um, is... Like one of the main sources for grizzlies, or was yeah, yeah. historically, and now right. it's not. They have nice uh, nuts and shit. Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll raid uh, squirrel caches and yeah. shit. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, so there is an interesting uh, thing that I think about a lot too, where like when systems are going well, they kind of tend to go exponentially well. Like mm-hmm. um, if everything's in order, they'll go basically one way or another. Like you're gonna survive, or you're gonna. Yeah, you're gonna decline and die. Okay. So if things are going badly, chances are higher that they're gonna keep going badly because you have things that are out of order and like collisions that are happening within your system that shouldn't be happening. Um, but if they're going better, then shit starts connecting and hooking up and like exponentially does better. Okay. And there's obviously like differences, like s- systems that were once healthy die once they get like well, kind of like a bloating dynamic that happens. Like yeah, if you get too fat, then something's going to take you down eventually which is <laughs> yeah seems applicable um, yeah but oh shit oh so in the sense of these climate dynamics that really does seem to happen and like one of my favorite nightmare scenario fantasies is when i get to thinking about like warming and then when you start thinking about oceans warming yeah, up and ice crazy. melting faster and then sun uh, sun reflecting. Ray reflecting, not reflecting off the ice, but getting absorbed by water and then okay. further warming that warms up um, like Siberian, what's it called? Peat, it's not peat moss. It's uh, Maybe it I, is. It's I know what you're of, talking about, the moss, yeah. It's a frozen moss that when it thaws, it releases a fuckload of carbon. Yeah. Um, so I've as these systems too. start getting kicked in, and they probably will, like in the next five years or ten years, it seems like they're not going to stop. Like we've we've tripped it. But that's a kind of example of what happens when shit goes sideways. Like if you're not symbiotic and you're not on the up and up and you're not like in a place where you're keeping yourself from getting fat, yeah. then you're you're going to end up going down the drain and you're going to end up like shit goes bad really fast fake it till you make it dude well bro, <laughs> just pretend it's not not any big deal <laughs> no so when you think about that stuff it's like we it doesn't feel good yeah to be where we're at um no hopeless hopeless but yeah again i think like i don't really want to kill myself i don't think at this point so <laughs> it's like yeah no i have a lot of people i love and want to leave behind well <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to even where to even start with all that. Yeah. Um my me neither. <laughs> my shit is just do the little work mm. I can 
you know, exist where I can, find my little happiness where I can, and try and also do well by the world. Right. Um, no, Terry Tempest Williams, I just saw her read a couple months ago down in Powell, Wyoming, and she basically was at where we were at, and she was like, but all we can do is, like, love a little more. Mm. You know, love harder. Well, what else can we do? Right? Yeah. Um, try and find more understanding and, you know. But that's hard. That's harder than it sounds, right? And well, because there's that fear that, thing. They know it. Right. Like, I'm fucking terrified. I don't want my skies to be brown. Yeah, Fuck yeah. that. Yeah. Um, like, that makes me angry or sad mm-hmm. or hopeless, you mm-hmm. know? How do you respond to that with love? Mm, so, mm. Good um, question. Right? Love better, I guess. I don't know, man. Yeah, there, I don't know. That's like a fundamental problem that I don't really understand yet. But Right. Um, but working to understand that, yeah. that is, I don't know. Right now, it's it's like mostly about just like wrapping my head around that reality. Yeah. And then I can get oriented and maybe figure out what to do, but... I know it's not really what everybody else is doing. <laughs> no, they're pretty much. I mean, especially people who are like interested in applying for country. That's clubs. what I was gonna like, say. The country club thing. That shit is crazy. Like playing those types of games right now is like somebody masturbating on the Titanic. It's like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> although yeah, I, that's there's worse things you could do. I was gonna <laughs> say if you knew you're going down, they just they don't know they they're don't going know down. They don't know it. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> It's the guy so you might the, have caught me doing that. <laughs> it's the guy in the stall who doesn't know the Titanic is going yeah, down. Yeah, you're like, yo, bro. <laughs> and he, if he doesn't know it's his last one, he's not yeah. making it worthwhile enough. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Can we stop Let's, and maybe uh, uh, come back for a cap? Yeah. Time a, for a little more? Yeah. Okay. I have to pee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and weed break, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that too. Um... Let's see. So I don't. I, I feel like we talked about a lot. Is there anything like that we haven't talked about that you were hoping to talk about more? Not or? really. I actually think you dug into more shit than I thought you were going oh. to. Like, like than I think you even meant to. Oh. Um, just thematically of like you know the book and kind oh. of what goes through my mind. So. How do you mean? Uh, just you know tackling that the symbiosis. Mm-hmm. Um. Just how it connects to masculinity and how we're existing in this world. Yeah. And then, you should check out Sex at Dawn. Yeah, and yeah. I I love, yeah. I explain it a little more. Well, I, so there's a whole whole thing with it. Um, basically, so I my interest in it is that I have have been practicing polyamory now for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and this book does a lot. F- for that in terms of like theory and stuff um where to start let's see so his main thing is and he he wrote it kind of with his wife who, okay his name is casilda jetha and chris ryan again is the author um their idea is that we have been told a false narrative about human sexuality okay for a long time um pretty much since probably the beginning of like society or like civil civilized cult quote civilized culture yeah um and that picture is heavily informed by like monogamy mostly um but it has a lot of different kind of instances where jealousy is one of those like sexual jealousy is kind of a product 
less of our nature as like sexual humans and more of our consequ more of our circumstances like and it's similar to what i was talking about earlier like um if you imagine a human like an ancient human out in the forest they're gonna be like less greedy than we are today maybe because yeah um and they might be you could make a case that they would be just as greedy because they have to fight for things in wilderness right like mm -hmm. just like we have to fight for things yeah. in the city but um Kind of our whole picture of sexuality revolves around a Hobbesian worldview. I don't know if in your philosophy you did any yeah. stuff with Hobbes. <laughs> like Thomas I said, Hobbes. I, I just did it because it made my brain feel good. Yeah, yeah. Any given day. But I remember I was supposed to read Hobbes. <laughs> <laughs> so Hobbes' Couldn't, main thing yeah. was just uh, nature as red and tooth and claw, as um, Tennyson put it, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. So nature as being a place that's really harsh to yep. life. Yeah. And um and that has some truth to it, right? Fuck like yeah, it does. If you look at how evolution works, like creatures that aren't adapted well are done away with. Yeah. Um but there's also a pretty slow process that happens where creatures are given the chance to see if they can cut it or not. Yeah. You could say. Um and so under a Hobbesian worldview, we think of animals as just fighting over everything. Like almost yeah. like we think, or like I think of cities today or like exactly, civilized yeah. culture today um, where they're all greedy. They don't care about any, like anything but themselves. Like they're just animals. They're brutes, yeah. right? Like they're the worst kind of animal that we think of. Which like, oh, I could totally just say no to that right now. What do you mean? I don't know. I was thinking about the wolves in Yellowstone. They have a finite fucking... They have the park. Yeah. And while they will encroach on each other, mm. there seems to be these territories that always exist. Oh. Like this... Sure. Mutual respect, though sometimes that is obviously played with. Right. Um, and packs evolve and yeah, die yeah. off and evolve. Well, but those spaces always exist, mm. it seems. Spaces... Like territorial spaces, like Maybe. there's only so much room for so many packs in the park. Yeah, but that's because there's a park there too. Yeah, but the fact that like those territories still exist. Sure. Yeah, while they're fighting over them, they're still existing. Oh, sure. Yeah. I see. So right. So their thing is that normally our culture thinks of nature in a Hobbesian mode. Yeah. And it's more. Their argument is that it makes more sense to think of nature as a symbiotic system. Yeah, I mean, my thing, because yeah, yeah. Otherwise, like, it would be much like us. There are bigger packs it, that so. could come over and take over all these packs and, you know, totally imperialize the entire park. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they don't. Right. You know? Right, right. I mean, they, they toy with it, but they don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's a question of wolves could, like, be imperial, I guess, you know? like. Well, uh, that's just the, maybe the that's hobby a human. view that would, I would dispute it saying, like, you know, they don't kill everything. Sure. Path. Right, 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 right. <laughs> that would be imperialistic. Yes. In sense. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Totally. But okay, sorry, I continue. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry, I was trying to track your um, wolf analogy a little bit. Yeah, man, I get a little weird. That's cool. <laughs> no, I like it. Um, yeah. So their thing is that we take that Hobbesian standpoint and we apply it in our sexuality and in the way we relate to other humans. Okay. Um, and this is kind of related to a hobby horse topic that I have, which is that like humans today um, behave like capitalists in their 
interpersonal relations and they're close like interpersonal relations Mm -hmm. where it's the least appropriate like when you're trying to be in a relationship with somebody you don't want to try to apply rules of a contract or like rules of Uh, obligation and power power. like well there's still power dynamics that happen but it's not power driven per se yeah um it's not ultimately power driven. It's, yeah. it's the point of the power is to keep perpetuating the system. It's not the point of the system to perpetuate power. Yeah. We could say. Yeah. Um, so like, or to, to value power as like the ultimate goal. Yeah. Cause that's suicidal is what like yeah, we maybe find. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in the, in that sense, like modern humans operate with people we're supposed to trust and treat them like business partners who might be trying to fuck us over in the end and, like, get the bigger part of the company at the end of it. Yeah, and there's that fear that it's, we talked about. It's and fear. And all of a sudden it's, you have jealousy and all that yep. arise from that. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So you see how, like, the microcosm of our sexual lives seems to replicate dynamics that we see in the larger cultural dynamics. Like... Um, if people treat their husband or their wife like they treat somebody who just cut them off in traffic, that's not pretty. No. But that might be where we are. Um, yeah. Well, for some people. When it comes yeah. down to it, like, um, I think those are power games. So what's the solution? So their solution is to say, like, first of all, we need to get reoriented theoretically and say, like, it's probably not in our nature to like kill each other because that doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. Or to be jealous of each other even. Um, because in a communal setting, like if one of your compatriots does well, it means that you are, will also do well. Like if they got yeah. a kill, um, you'll probably get Feed some off stakes of off yeah. of that. Um, it doesn't mean that there's one less Buffalo out there that you can kill. Right, which is how we would think of it. Yeah. Like, oh, damn, he got a bigger buffalo than me or whatever it would yeah. be. It's just like, oh, thank God somebody got a buffalo because it's yeah, fucking now we can eat. here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and party about it, too. Right, and then they partied a lot, too. Yeah. Um, so anyway, a lot of it's just like reori- reorienting ourselves out of a modern intellectual framework, I would say, and like into a more like neo- uh, like ancient framework yeah. where um, they're just kind of pointing out all sorts of flaws in our um, like theoretical structure that make it so it's not son- not sen- not sensical. It's a kind of um, cognitive dissonance that we find like in your shit that you were talking yeah. about as a kid, like trying to understand like, wait, so I'm supposed to work really hard because, to prove myself, but I'm already entitled to all this shit. Yeah. Like, which is it? And like, which game am I supposed to be playing? Am I yeah. like the one that won the game already? Or am I the one that's working its ass off? And do play? I even want to be in this game? Or do I? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, we're kind of playing those games sexually or like playing those games in our other close relationships. And they're trying to undermine that and say like, no, we have pretty good reason to think that humans operated cooperatively. Um, not only on a social level, but on a personal level, like in terms of our sexuality, where like much like people shared meat in those days, they shared sexual partners. Like, yeah. Um, sex was just another way of having a conversation with somebody maybe like and bonding with them um, so that you knew that you had stuff in common with them and that you cared about them enough to give them meat or, yeah. or whatever. Like it, it was much more of a bonding 
mechanism sex than it is now. Like we think of it as a bonding mechanism, but more it's like just another resource to be controlled probably. Yeah. Well, and then there would be, sorry to bring my Catholicism into no, this, but, no, uh, but then it, the yeah. spiritual, spiritual part of it. I mean, like whenever my, whenever my poor mother has to hear some, cause I'm super fucking open, has mm. to hear some sort of sexual thing. Mm. Um, she always is like, well, just doesn't sound spiritual or whatever, you know, like shit like that. Mm. Um, like it's supposed to be a spiritual connection type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's the commodifying it mm. and that's what she would argue. I guess she would argue that, uh, it needs to be spiritual instead of a commodity. Sure. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't know what I am spirituality wise. I know I'm, I know I think think things are pretty fucking badass and there's some mm. some sort of divine um force or whatever. Not force or plant uh divine design mm. type thing. Mm. And I don't know if it's divine, but the design of the world is pretty fucking badass yeah. before we kind of fucked with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, I don't know where I am spirituality spirituality wise, but um that's just, uh, yeah, I guess kind of a devil's advocate to that. Right, right, right. Which I don't know, even know how to do it because I'm not spiritual. <laughs> but It's funny because, like, the game of religion is usually just to recontextualize things yeah. and claim them as spiritual while also cl- playing a different game. Exactly. That's what you would say. Like, you're saying it's romantic or it's spiritual, but yeah. you're also treating it more like a commodity than I am, like... That's a good point. Is what you maybe yeah, it makes it a stronger commodity. Right. Yeah. Because um, you're saving that so it'll mean something when you finally share it with somebody. Yeah. They're your soulmate or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And, man, I don't know where I'm at with all that. Yeah. Or with all this, I mean. Um, no, that's cool. And I like I don't like to bring it up because it's kind of a topic that's, like, offensive potentially or... Um, I don't think it's offense. I don't. I don't know. I don't think much is offensive mm. if you can fucking just open up your shit. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like I said, don't don't project your fears right. type thing. Right. Um, I don't know. It's. Um, I definitely have a traditional mindset to it yeah. where I'm like I would probably be more on the monogamous monogamous side, side but yeah. I totally see what you're saying. It's kind of weird because like. If you're an anarchist or like like Edward Abbey or whatever, yeah, a lot of confusion for me seems to have come from this what uh, they call the standard narrative that I was trying. I totally drifted from that. So their goal is to undermine the standard narrative, which is that Hobbesian yeah. worldview. And like, <clears throat> I found that I definitely had some of that in me, like jealousy around my partner, and like I found that my values as like an anarchist or an, like anti-capitalist or whatever seem to suggest that I shouldn't get jealous about, like, my partner having other close relationships with people, even if it's sexual, and that, like, um, it seems like there's a lot of validity to the claim that monogamy is um, just a way for, just another way for men to control women's sexuality. Because if you look at it, like, women are maybe even more promiscuous than men in, like, a, quote, natural context without, like, guilt and shame around yeah. their sexuality. Like or I'd we say have. depending on the individual either way. Depending, no doubt. Yeah. But there's also, like, and this stuff gets weird because, again, with, like, the gender 
gender discussions and yeah. biology discussions. It's kind of strange. We can seemingly talk about ourselves pretty coherently in terms of like male female stuff, and of course it breaks down after a certain point. But exactly, yeah. Um, I don't know. So I saw that stuff in me, and I found it really helpful uh, to start thinking about it and like trying to integrate a really important part of my life which is like sex and like how I relate to other people yeah and like seeing some toxic shit that came up around like thinking from a monogamous standpoint where like you're more likely maybe to be proprietary if you're monogamous because like you have that attitude with your partner like that's kind of a fundament of your existence is that like um you have like a contract with this person you're mine and I'm yours that you have it's like a mutual sense of control yeah basically like um, I can control you on this level if you can control me. Um, and if you're like anything like me, you like have an eye that for beauty, like regardless of whether you're quote, like tethered to somebody or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so a part of me felt disingenuous turning away from, from that and, and being like, no, I'm actually like flirty and like kind of promiscuous and like, that's okay. Like I don't have to feel guilty or like, a no, I think there's that. that. Um, I don't know. I would like to trust somebody eventually, though. Mm. You know, like you can't trust somebody if if you're not in a monogamous relationship with them. No, if I'm in a no, no. Well, no, I'm saying like that's what I'm my, ahead of yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, no, but I would say like my ideal if I was in a monogamous relation relationship, it would be that I could see them go fucking be themselves across the bar mm. flirting with somebody and no I can trust that mm. like she's fucking doing her shit could you trust him enough to go fuck that person and to still come back to you see I wouldn't like that that's right. where I'm like I don't know so like I'm that. wondering I wonder about that kind of thing no totally uh, but I wouldn't yeah that's what I I, I just don't think I'd want to be fucking somebody else while she's fucking somebody else I don't there's I a don't, question of why right I, no totally yeah, totally yeah. um so what I'm saying is like you're you're like it might be an offensive topic but I'm mm. like no man oh there's a question there <laughs> no well you were saying it's offensive and I'm like no let's talk about it because yeah. like I'm obviously not totally on the same level as you, but mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about it and wonder why. Yeah, yeah. Why are we different there? And right. Oh, and I get neither's. Really, I would say neither's right, but neither's right. I, I would subjective. Totally, everybody's like has their own shit. I would argue that like where we are now, environmentally, and um, just like that hopeless point that we are. Yeah monogamy like has to do with that and that you like think? part of the mindset that makes us think that we're all monogamous or most people are monogamous is the same mindset that makes us think that we could dominate nature or own nature like no, and i'm not saying that monogamy is fundamentally bad but i think yeah. in the context of capitalism and greediness today today it tends toward being hyper greedy and a way for people to own each other and still tell themselves that it's a high form of romanticism and love because that's what we see in the movies is people like agreeing to control each other and then fighting over that basically and then trying to prove that their love is real and that yeah. it's worth it to control each other or whatever. No, I totally agree there. So um, I can rant forever. So you have to forgive no, me. No, yeah, basically what I was going to say is if we want to bring it back nature too, yeah. I mean... I always wonder what we, you know, 
we evolved from all these, you know, animals. Mm-hmm. Some animals made for life. Many don't. Very few made for life. Yeah, yeah many don't. Mm-hmm. But so, as a matter of odds, it seems like if, if you want to say that we're that not it, special as you. an animal, then like chances are we're not monogamous because there are very few. But could we not individually be some like animals? Like some are monogamous. No doubt. But my yeah. point is that they're outliers. Like if you view it from that context, no, I get then that. As a yeah. species, our population would have a majority non-monogamous yes. because it's more in our benefit to fuck as many people as or as I don't many think we other can handle it though nowadays it's very it would be it's intense you have to know what you're doing yeah <laughs> there's like a whole science behind under I wouldn't want to deal with it no, either way I mean put it this way I'd rather deal with that than uh, the other path which I've tried <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no I no I hear you there yeah um I haven't tried it. I didn't try it the right way. I don't I don't think I gave it like a fair shake, so it's all anecdotal. But it's all subjective, like yeah. I said, man. Yeah. Um Yeah. No, that's definitely something I look at, but I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's my Catholic mother in my ear, man. Yeah. <laughs> you should think about it. I have some books or that sex of Don would be cool. No, I would love to read of- that. Just Because, uh, like I said, I'm not black or black I try to not be black or white, so Saying absolutely no Yeah Like I'd probably learn something And maybe apply it In some weird different way Yeah yeah um, Or maybe you'd be really into it Or maybe I'd be really into <laughs> it I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't It's know. good for anarchists I mean One form uh, I, Are you an anarchist? Like how much uh, Of Abby's stuff Do you take on? What'd you say? Ooh, I don't know if I'm cool enough to be an anarchist, but oh. yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, know if I'm cool that. enough to just go cut people's barbed wire fence. I'm not that shit. kind of anarchist. Yeah, <laughs> um, just theoretically, mostly. Yeah, theoretically, I don't know. Practically, where I can. Well, it's just tough. I mean, I would really. Yeah, I think that if we all were making our own decisions and not making them off of these, these giant overbearing laws right um it might be better but then I'll, at the same time i see some really fucking stupid people and i'm like maybe we do need a little help mm. nowadays yeah, yeah yeah but if not to get all fucking well if we just took away the laws the stupid ones would go away the, da- fast. the darwinism that's what <laughs> i was gonna say yeah i was like i don't know if i want to bring up social darwinism no but. well you don't because at this point too it'd be the people with guns who would be Usually, yeah, man, it's really bizarre. Stepping right up, now. Um, like we talked a lot about the affluence side of um, Trump, Trump's, you know, grand rise. Mm. Um, but what about the? I mean, the big part, the the part that no one's expecting, that the for lower him. class. Mm. Yeah, um, shit's kind of interesting. It's confused as fuck. Yeah, very confused. Um, mm-hmm. And well, we're see, in the that's heart of happened. it here in Montana. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. I mean, not the heart of it, but some of it. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what these people would do if there were no laws. <laughs> like, or uh, people I everywhere. Montana would be an easy place to. I, it might be one of the easiest places for no laws. Maybe because there's so little people. Right. Well, it'd just uh, be back to old west. Billings, though. Billings yeah. is a bit of a strange town. Billings is strange. Yeah. It's big enough town. to have some gnarliness. Yeah, it's a big city. No, it's. I've seen more strange things here than I've seen in Denver. So. <laughs> um, 
Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I could talk about monogamy and shit for a long time. <laughs> if you're not prepared to talk about it, it's not. I probably like that pleasant to talk about, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's. Uh, I think my next book is going to be something to do with uh, trying to understand that. The, I mean, that early twenties trying to figure out what the fuck love is mm. uh, in a romantic way, but mm-hmm. also in like I've said, you know, finding hope in humanity in the mm. world type way. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I am with that because I guess still got to write a book. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, well, I got to research shit for you. If you yeah, prep a bit. Dope. That's why I said I'd be interested. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, I don't know. I let's see. Talk to you about Abby, that rant essay. Mm-hmm. You're looking for an agent, so if any fucking literary agents <laughs> happen to be listening to this. That'd be cool. Hit up Steven Brown. Yeah. Yeah. I'll work hard. <laughs> I'll work hard. <laughs> like a, like somebody trying to prove they're a man. Yes. I'll put all my masculinity into you, those You words. have all the work ethic of somebody raised in a toxic masculine yeah. culture. Yeah. But with some emotional uh, awareness, hopefully. Yeah. I think that's what I want to, tr- you know, I never want to betray how fucking dumb I am. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget it. Yeah. <laughs> so I want that all to be in my writing, but also show that I have this emotional, I don't know what it is, but yeah. I'm trying to discover something. Yeah. You know, I am the, uh, that Socrates quote, you know, if you think you know everything, you don't know nothing mm. type thing. I'd mm-hmm. rather just know nothing and wade through the muck and try right. and show people through my own fuck ups. I right. Guess. Right. So, and be a good person while doing all that. You know, whatever that means. Fuck yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think we've we'll drive a death established. I'm pretty shit. confused. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So well, thanks for hanging out, man. Yeah, no, thanks well, for having me. I'm gonna turn this out. Turns off. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, thanks for tuning in for this conversation with Stephen Brown, author of Amongst the Eyes and Sage, his memoir. Um, be on the lookout for that again. Uh, I really appreciate that he came down and and had a conversation with me. Um, like I mentioned in the interview, he or I got connected with him through somebody who listened to one of the shows and thought of him and gave me his contact information. So if you have somebody that you think I should talk to, definitely let me know. Um, you can message Waste Division on Instagram or me on Instagram. I'm at Filthy G6. That's P H I L T H Y G6. Um, and I believe Waste Division is Waste underscore Division. Um, check out waste division.org if you liked this. You can find more stuff like this of many different types of media uh, on there. And again, you can check out our Patreon there and toss us some money if you want to help help make things a little easier for us. All this costs money to put on um, the website and the podcast feed and all that. And it's not a ton, and we do a good job of keeping our costs low, but it's always helpful uh, to have some financial help. Um, also, if you want to go give us a review on iTunes preferably a favorable one with lots of stars. Uh, I always like to read them. Um, It's kind of fun to see what people think of what we're doing. So, Um, 
This song is, as I mentioned in the intro, by one of my favorite Montana bands called Fools. They have an EP out called About Face, and this is their song, Nosferatu. See you next time. Thank you.